Welcome to episode 70 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on February 20th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor of GameCritics.com. I am also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, sir? I feel like I say this on every other show, but I cannot believe it's already almost the end of February. Like, what is happening? I know, man. It is going by real quick. January seemed to kind of drag. It was just kind of a shitty month. February, it's like I blinked and it's almost done. Where I don't know where the time goes. <laughs> Uh, but that is what old people say, of course, so I guess we are uh, now old people. Uh, yeah, we are. You want to talk about, like, a bum knee or being regular? <clears throat> um, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Okay. I'm not, I'm not that old yet, so I'll get there. Okay, well, you're going to catch up with me pretty soon, because I can talk about my bowel movements at any point of the day, all day long. It's really interesting when you get old, let me tell you. I never want to talk about that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going we're gonna to let that go for now. <laughs> Uh, before we get into our uh, games-oriented content, because I'm pretty sure no one's here to talk about our bowel movements besides us, oh uh, God, no. I, I, I want to give you listeners a quick reminder. If you are the kind of person who enjoys our non-games chat and our rambling bullshit, uh, you can catch our banter segment after the ending music plays. Just keep listening past the close and you can catch up with what we've been doing when we are not sitting in front of our consoles. But now, putting all that stuff aside, let's get right to what you came here for, I hope. The Games Chat. So, Corey, you are up first this week, and we're kind of circling back to something we talked about a while ago. Um, we kind of sort of covered the Metal Gear Survive beta when it was open. I don't even know when that was, but it was a little while ago. And unfortunately, you were occupied and missed that beta, but they opened it back up this weekend, and I'm assuming you had time to jump in. Did you? That is correct. Excellent. So now I'm all ears. Uh, tell us what you thought of the Metal Gear Survive beta. Okay. So first of all, I want to say thank you because I would have had, I was not in tune with what was going on with this game and you DM'd me on Twitter and you're like, Oh, Hey, the beta's up for like the weekend again, if you want to try it. And so I did. And I, okay. So I don't even know where to start with Metal Gear Survive. Um, my, my thing about Metal Gear Survive, I'm just going to jump right to the point, like, quickly, and then we can talk the details, is that I, this is one of those games where I don't like it yet, but it's because I don't know what the fuck to do with it. Like, I was playing it, and I just can't quite figure out, and I know that the beta only has, like, a few missions and, like, you know, maybe a reflection of, like, one of the game modes in it, but... I like jumped into a mission and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't understand this. I don't understand any of the systems. I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. And I walked away from it with like a pretty bad taste in my mouth. But I know that it's just because I don't understand the game. And the beta did me no favors in trying to explain to me how to do anything. Like I chose a mission, I went in and it was like a, kind of like a, you, you put up this like, thing that like gathers energy from the earth or some bullshit and it's like a wave shooter thing where you have to like protect this piece of equipment that's sort of like mining some sort of like element out of the earth and 
it's just like a wave shooter and I did not like it at all. And like my little like piece of equipment got destroyed on like the second wave. And I was like, oh, I guess I must've failed because it sets itself up to like be like three waves. But then at the end of it, it's like, oh, congratulations. Here's all these things you got from doing this mission. And I was like, but I didn't like finish it. Like I didn't make it to the third wave. And so I was just really confused about the whole thing and it didn't present itself to me in a way that even that really bothered to explain to me what I was supposed to be doing and there's like a lot of like crafting bullshit that I'm not into in it like there's you have to like pick up a lot of like really dumb stuff in the environment like different like like metal and gunpowder and rubber and wood and there's like all these different work benches that you have to go to and like you craft ammo, but then, like, the ammo doesn't appear in your inventory, and I, oh, man, I know I took off on this discussion in a really strange direction, but I, I did not enjoy my time with the Metal Gear Survive beta. No, I think that's a, that's a totally fair direction, because I think that's a very um, accurate description of what it feels like to be dropped into this beta, um, which kind of brings to mind the question of why would you do this beta if you're not going to take the time to explain what it is, because it, like, like with you, it just kind of leaves people weirded out and they don't know what's going on and confused and and leaves them feeling a bit sour. I mean, I had the same experience, uh, kind of like what you did. Um, so, I mean, I guess I have not played the full game. The full game is actually now out. It just came out today. So the day that we're recording is when it's now available. Uh, it came, I think it hit like midnight last night and I had some friends who were downloading it. Unfortunately, it was a really shitty launch because... As soon as people downloaded it, it needed a patch in order to run, but the patch was not on the store. So you could buy the game, <laughs> you could download the game, and as soon as you try to start it, it's like, you need a patch, cannot start, and then people were stuck. Uh, thankfully, Konami got the patch up within a couple hours, so it wasn't like a, a huge amount of time, but really poor way to start uh, start your game off. Um, I haven't heard very many early impressions from people. I mean, one of my friends said it seems like it's really cool, one person said it seemed like garbage, so... It's, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't know what the, the true um, nature of that game is going to be for me or for you. Uh, but I think your description of the beta is accurate. I mean, they throw you in. It is a wave shooter. You're protecting this, like, drill or this, I don't know, energy siphon or whatever the fuck it is. And these <laughs> just weird crystal zombies come pouring in from all these different directions. Did you play it on your own or were there other people in the sessions that you were in? I was doing it by myself because I wasn't about to jump in with strangers on the internet. All right. I don't blame you at all. Um, I played the beta with my wife and my son. So we had three of us and I think four is the maximum for that. Definitely makes a difference that, that the beta slice that they give you is in no way intended to be played by one person. It's really hard. They send you like a shitload of zombies in. You don't have like enough tools or anything to deal with them. And it's really confusing. Um, I think the, the, the crafting is really confusing like you said, I was picking up like the metal and the copper and the steel and whatever. And I couldn't figure out what to, like, I didn't have enough to make anything. And the things that I did make weren't really of much use to me. And it was just, it's a lot of systems. Like it's a lot of stuff going on that they just don't have time to get really get into in that beta. So I think it's kind of a shitty idea for them to launch that beta in the first place. I mean, you sound like you had a very negative experience. I mean, after that brief slice, are you still entertaining the idea of playing this game? I am planning, I actually need to add it to my queue. I would like to gamefly this game because, uh, I mean, rumor has it there is a single player mode and 
Um, and I literally just checked Metacritic while you were discussing uh, while you were discussing it just now, and there's not a single like marked uh, like credible review up for it yet. So I don't know like what all the extent of the single player mode is. I'm still interested in playing it because I know once like you actually have the full game, I'm sure there's some kind of like tutorial where they kind of ease you in, and maybe like the single player mode might be worth it, but. This is totally going to be one of those games where if I play it for an hour and I'm not into it, I'm just going to put it right back in the mail and send it back. But, I mean, I'm hoping for the best and preparing for, like, total mediocrity here. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of of the same mind. I'm very willing to give it um, a chance, a real chance, because I'm not a Kojima diehard. I, you know, we've discussed this in the past about how Kojima feels like he was a prisoner of the series and was doing whatever he could to sabotage it. Um, now that he's gone and there's people working on the game who apparently or ostensibly are wanting to work on the game, I'm hoping it's going to take it in a better direction. I'm very open to that. I'm very interested in like the systems. And I mean, you know, cause people said that Metal Gear Solid five had great systems and I liked what I saw of it, but I was not a fan of the story and the whole, you know, it had issues. It had issues. Let me just say that. So, uh, I'm definitely willing to give it a shot. But a lot depends on that single player mode. I'm not going to be playing a lot of multiplayer, like doing wave shooter or, you know, anything like that is not something that interests me. And I got to be just fucking straight up with you, dude. Too many games these days want to be my one forever and ever love. Like I can't devote myself to a game that never ends uh, because there's just too many of them. I mean, it's like, you know, like you play uh, it's just games of service, you know, where like there's never an end and they just want you to keep coming back all the time. There's only so many hours in the day, you know, it's like, you know, I want to play Monster Hunter. That's a huge game. That's not as game of service, but it's a really massive game. So that takes a lot of time. Warframe. I love that game, but that's like another game that never ends. So that's like another huge investment. I'm playing Puzzle Quest. That's a game that never ends. And I can only put, play that for so many hours. And, you know, if you play like uh, Overwatch or if you play Destiny or if you play, you know, The Division, if you're one of those weirdos still playing The Division. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, like a lot of these games just want you to play forever. And like, that's just not a doable thing for me. So if the main mode of survive ends up being that infinite online multiplayer, I will, I will nope the fuck right out. Like it will not do that. But if it does turn out that there's a pretty decent single player mode, I would be down. Um, I was talking to a uh, good friend, David Roberts, who uh, is a fellow games writer and a good oh, guy. David, good old David robots. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> have you ever met David in real life? I haven't. I've been to Seattle twice and I have not met him either time. Oh, he came over to my house once, and uh, I've met up with him at PAX and stuff. He's a real good guy. I love David David Roberts. Real good guy. Um, he was saying, just from his very initial impressions, it seemed like the single player was getting off on the right foot. He said that there was going to there was a lot of uh, cutscenes explaining things and kind of setting the game up. He seemed to be having a pretty good time so far. But again, that was just like super early days. I mean, literally nobody I know um, reviewed this game. Uh, apparently, codes were sent out like really, really, really uh, late, like really close towards release. And apparently the servers were not turned on. So you couldn't really engage with the game fully. Uh, my request, uh, my formal game critics request was not answered for review code. So we will not uh, have a review code. I think, I think one of us will probably pop for it and review it anyway, but they didn't send us anything. So I can't speak about it from that perspective. Um, so I'm just going to wait and see. I mean, I'm really tempted. I really want to check it out, but it's got. It's all going to hinge on that single player mode, kind of like you said. So I think maybe GameFly is the smart way to go. Yeah, that's definitely um, what I'm thinking because I'm still tentatively interested. But um, yeah, that uh, the beta did not leave a very good taste in my mouth. 
Yeah, I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. I mean, I, I felt the same way, and it only really turned around for me once I found the mech suit. Did you ever find the mech suit? No, I literally only played, like, the same mission twice and pretty much stopped after that. Yeah, it was. It, it's not exactly super clear where it is, and I only figured it out once somebody had told me that there was one, and then once I knew there was one, I found it, and that made it actually a lot more fun. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, it's pretty torturous. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I guess kind of a wait and see. Any any final thoughts on the, the beta? Uh, I don't think so. That's about it. All right. Well, I'm sure I am sure we will talk about this again. Uh, you know, if you decide to game flight, if I game flight or I don't know if I'm feeling particularly saucy, maybe I'll pop for it. If word of mouth sounds good, <laughs> we shall see. But that's it for Metal Gear Survive beta, which is currently out now, just released like literally a couple hours ago. So there we go. <clears throat> Moving on, I wanted to circle back to a game that I mentioned last week, Celeste on the Switch. Um, this is a game that is a 2D platformer, really difficult. Um, I don't want to say torturous, but it's definitely much higher on the skill uh, skill slider than I, something I usually play. Also has a story about a girl who is having some, I don't know, like inner inner turmoil, inner issues that she needs to work out, and she chooses to work those out by climbing this mountain. Uh, this game is receiving a lot of love. It's uh, kind of an indie darling right now, put out by the same people that did Towerfall a couple years ago. And uh, like I said, it's on the Switch. I just uh, talked about it briefly last week. And in the, in the meantime, since then, I have actually finished it all the way. Uh, which for me these days is rare because I feel like I don't finish any game anymore. Uh, but I'm glad I finished it. It was worth the time. And I think that overall, looking back on it, uh, it was really, really good. Um, I really liked it a lot. I think it is deserving of the praise. The platforming uh, was very tight and very... It was very demanding, but I think it was also very fair. I didn't ever feel like I was really... Um, put into situations that were too much to handle. I mean, sometimes you had to practice them quite a bit and you really had to try and die many, many times. I mean, there was a few sections where I was dying like a hundred times, 200 times or whatever. So, I mean, it's not like a cakewalk, but I felt like if you are that kind of a gamer, it is a very well, well put together sort of thing. Um, the story also I thought was really, really good. It was better than expected. Um, like I said, it's about a girl who's kind of working through some issues. As she goes up this mountain, the mountain is kind of magical in, in a few ways. And it kind of brings out the things inside of her that were causing her trouble. She kind of works through those. I'm trying to dance around it and not spoil anything because I think the story <laughs> is actually worth seeing. Uh, so sorry if I'm being a little vague. Uh, but I really liked how they talked about her inner conflict. I really liked how it ended up. I mean, there's quite, quite a bit of dialogue. Um, you know, it's not a narrative game, but I mean, for a platformer, there was way more dialogue than you would expect. And it was all really well done. The script was really nice. The characters were really appealing and cute, but also there was enough humanity and enough relatability to make it to feel kind of real and relevant, which was really great. Don't see a lot of that these days. Um, so when it got to the end, I felt very satisfied, although I will say like it was very, very, very taxing and very challenging. Um, definitely a lot of sections in that game that I was getting a little frustrated with. I had to put it down a few times to come back to it later. Uh, and now that I'm done with it, I liked it a lot. I really recommend it if you like this kind of game, but like I don't ever want to play it again, and I, I don't even want to think about it again because it was kind of like torture getting through it. Um, 
But it was the kind of torture where you get at the end and you feel like, okay, it was worth it. Like, I'm glad I did that. It's, it's like going to the gym. Like, I don't know if you go to the gym these <laughs> days, Corey. I used to go to the gym all the time. I don't go to the gym anymore. But, like, I, I've never liked going to the gym. You go to the gym. It's like it's taking time away from you being able to do something else, probably more fun. You go there. You sweat. You work out. Like, it hurts. You're sore. Like, you know, you pull something, whatever. Like, you're just, you know, lifting weights and doing that stuff. And, like, when you're done, I don't know about you, but, like, for me, when I was done, I'm like, yeah feeling good. Like I look a little better, you know, muscles are a little more toned, you know, feel a little better about myself. feel like I'm stronger. That feels great. But like every time I went back to the gym, I fucking hated going back to the gym. I didn't ever want to go back to the gym, but I was glad that I did. Um, so that's kind of how this game felt. Like it felt like it was a real strenuous workout and it was really challenging me to go further than I like to go. Um, when I'm sitting down playing a game and, but when I was done, I felt great. But now that I'm done, I don't want to go back. So I guess <laughs> it's kind of like a, a positive and a negative there. Um, the other thing to really mention, too, is I played Celeste uh, Vanilla, which is where, which is the way the developers intended it. Um, whatever the, the basic settings were, just stock is what I played. And that was very, very, very challenging. But this is the game that also offers a lot of accessibility options. And we kind of touched on that last week. I didn't get into it in detail because I hadn't actually turned any of them on but after I finished the game I went back and I turned all of them on I wanted to see what they were all about it was pretty cool like it was pretty cool um there's an option where you're invincible so in a game full of um sharp spikes that kill you in one hit like all of those can just be negated which is great uh the main character has like a double jump but if you can you can turn on infinite jumping so that if you get to like a part that's really hard to land, you can just jump, 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 jump through the air forever. And you can just basically, it's almost like flying around the screen, um, which is, uh, gets you around pretty much any obstacle that would be in your way. You can slow down how fast the game runs. So if your reflexes are slow and you can't quite time these jumps, you can slow everything down. So that you have a lot more time to figure out when you need to push the jump button and when you need to grab onto ledges and stuff like that. Um, infinite stamina like if you're climbing a wall if you're clinging to a ledge there is a stamina meter and you can fall if you hold on too long but you can turn the infinite stamina on so you can just hold on forever give you time to catch your breath and evaluate your next move um so i think that was about it for accessibility but that right there is an amazing amount of accessibility that game goes from being oh my god this is really fucking hard to this isn't even a challenge i'm totally walking through this with my eyes shut so i appreciate that they gave you the option to have that initial developer vision. And if you are not able to participate in that vision, as some people are not, they gave you a bunch of tools. I mean, with all those tools available, I'm expecting basically anybody could get through that game, no problem. I mean, it'll be a different experience, but it still will be a good experience, and I'm glad that they included those. Um, interestingly, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that those options were originally not the plan. Uh, the plan was to just make a balls-hard platformer and put it out there like so many other indies. But after they saw, and again, this is unconfirmed, but this is what I heard. After they saw the reaction to Cuphead, which was supposed to be this indie darling, which was really, really balls-hard, and a lot of people falling away from that because they didn't, they were not up to the challenge or didn't want that kind of a challenge, the developers of Celeste decided, oh, whoa, 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 let's put in a few amenities for people who don't want that kind of a spike in difficulty. Honestly, I think that was a very smart decision. I'm really glad they did that. Um, so overall, really liked it a lot. I really enjoyed the story. Uh, really good story. Surprisingly good story. Uh, and I did feel a great deal of satisfaction when I rolled credits and got to the top of the mountain. But boy, I never want to play that shit again. Like, I just don't want any more of it. And it was really hard. 
So I'm glad I did it. I can say that I did it, and I don't want to do it anymore. So overall, recommended. Recommended. Corey, thoughts? Um, I have one, I think just one follow-up question, and this is it. Um, so as far as the accessibility stuff, like, say, if someone like me who, like, this kind of game is not my bag at all, you know, the kind of, like, you know, balls hard platformer, super meat boy style, like die a thousand times per level kind of game. Like that's, that's like, it's pretty far like that. And like, like, like Madden football games are about as far out of my comfort zone as I can get (laughs) in video games. And, uh, and so if someone like me, um, or, or, you know, people who don't like playing games like this is the story and the narrative and Celeste good enough for someone like me who doesn't like these games to flip on some handicap settings and play it to be satisfied with the story? That is a really hard question to answer. Um, <laughs> I, you know, so I guess I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'll say like, if you saw this like on sale, I think I bought it for 20 bucks and I felt very satisfied for 20 bucks because there is a lot of content here. I mean, there's the main story. There are collectibles that you can go for. There are alternate levels that, that are even harder than the main levels. And then once you get to the end of the game, there's like a whole end game thing, which I didn't unlock because I did not get enough of the unlockables to unlock it. There's a shitload of stuff to do on top of the main game being good on top of the story being good. So for 20 bucks, I felt like that was a great deal, great value, very satisfied. But if I was a person who did not enjoy that kind of a challenge and I was planning to like flip on all the accessibility and just kind of go through it for the story... I would say I would say wait for a sale because I honestly thought the story was very good. Um, I don't want to get into spoilers because that would be doing a disservice to anybody listening. But, you know, it's about it's about believing yourself. It's about self-esteem. It's about maybe depression. It's about, um, you know, kind of overcoming obstacles. Um, I would not say it's a narrative game like this is not a narrative heavy. You know, it's not a walking simulator by any stretch of the imagination like that. But there's definitely a lot going on and I think it was really well done. And I think I really appreciate it very much. If you found it on sale, you know, 10 bucks, I'd say go for it. Cause you could turn on the accessibility stuff. You would still have fun. I mean, and you could put on maybe some of the accessibility. You don't need all of it. I mean, giving yourself just one double jump instead of infinite double jumps would make the game like way more playable. And, um, you know, you might get some enjoyment out of it that way. So you could, you know, there's a, there's a range of experiences you could have. You could have the incredibly hard vanilla. You could have, a couple extra jumps, or maybe you just want to be invincible because you hate spikes. I mean, you could tailor it to your taste, and I think the story is worth seeing. So uh, if you're not up for the vanilla, vanilla challenge, I would say get it on sale, and I think it would be worth it, yes. All right, I will keep that in mind. All right, excellent, excellent. That's all I have to say about Celeste, and let's move on really quickly because I've been dying, dying <laughs> for so long, like months and months to hear you talk about Tacoma, Corey. You finally got to it, which is ironic because as everyone of, who listens to the show knows, you are the walking simulator guy. You are the sci-fi guy. This is your jam. Tacoma from Fulbright is like, I mean, ostensibly, I mean, we haven't heard from you yet, but I would guess it's a Corey-ass <laughs> Corey game, a C-A-C-G and I was the one that got to it first. I could not believe I got to it first, but I played through this all the way. Um, I never talked about it, though, did I? Did we never talk about this? The only time you talked about it is whenever you praised it during our Game of the Year show. Okay, okay. So I never talked about this, but I did play it. I was waiting for you to talk about it. You started it today, and I want to hear every little thing about it. Talk to me about Tacoma, sir. 
All right, so it's true. The rumors are true. I did play some of it today. Um, I, I don't think I'll be able to go super in-depth today because I only played it for about an hour and a half, and I wasn't sure how long this game was going to be because this is coming from Fulbright, whose last game was Gone Home, and Gone Home is like... It, it's sort of like... I mean, it wasn't the first walking simulator, but it kind of like that and like Dear Esther kind of like put them on the map. And whenever Gone Home came out, like everybody loved it. Everybody thought it was great and everybody just was like, you know, uh, head over heels for it. And then I played Gone Home and I didn't really care for it that much. So I was kind of like the wet blanket on everybody whenever I played that game. And, uh, and so, I mean, maybe that's part of the hesitation I had going into Tacoma. And the other hesitation is that um, I, I just didn't want to pay the full price for it. Because like I've said a million times on the show before, up until about a month ago, I was unemployed. I didn't feel like spending a lot of money on games. It is, uh, to my knowledge, a digital-only game, so I couldn't gamefly it and rent it. Um, but now that I have a gaming PC, uh, Patrick does some, like, one of the humble bundle deals. I don't know. There's probably, like, a million of them. But he got Tacoma on, in a humble bundle for on Steam. So I've been playing it on PC. And I got him from work today and played it for about an hour and a half. And, um, and so we'll do, like, a first impressions today. And then maybe next week we can, like, go really in-depth in discussion once I finish it. How does that sound? That sounds very fair. Let's do that. And if you don't mind, go ahead and give people a quick recap on what Tacoma is. Because although Gone Home um, was very well known and became kind of like a poster child for the walking simulator genre, uh, I think Tacoma, since it was only PC and Xbox One exclusive, I think a lot of people just kind of forgot about it or just never got around to it. I, I don't uh, think it got nearly the attention it deserved. So give us a quick recap and then tell us what you thought. All right, so Tacoma, from what I have gathered, it is a game where you play as a sort of like a subcontractor for a space company. And at the very beginning of the game, you start out in your little spaceship and it's docking into this kind of big like space station area. And you dock onto the space station and you go in and the space station is has like a fully automated artificial intelligence that is like... Uh, kind of watching over everything that's going on in the station. Um, the people that are working there can talk to it. It kind of, they can like have discussions with it and bounce ideas off of it. This is uh, very advanced um, stuff in the game, very advanced technology. And the game kind of makes it clear pretty early on that um, because the AI is monitoring everything that happens on the station, like everything that happens on the station is property of the station owner and i can't remember it the initials are vt i can't remember what it stands for but um like vt is the company that like makes the station and contracts it or something like that and so like basically everything is jurisdiction of vt like everything anybody says everything anybody looks at on their like computers or every move that they make it's all uh under the jurisdiction of vt they own everything and so you get to the station, and your job is to... I don't even really know what your job is, to like uh, download a bunch of data that's been happening in every department of the station onto this like uh, kind of like big like book-shaped USB drive kind of thing that you have. And, but a, a few minutes after you get there, it becomes apparent that some shit went down on the station and that maybe the job that the people were there to do, that they didn't finish or that they were in danger or... 
something, you know, basically some kind of calamity happened uh, along the lines. And so everybody who comes into the station, you get like a 3D body scan. And so because the VT company owns all of your movements, um, everything that anybody has done on the station is recorded as it looks kind of like a motion capture suit, kind of like walking around in uh, like in real time in the, in the different departments. And so whenever you walk into an area, there's like a thing that pops up on your like augmented reality, like vision, where it says that there was like movement detected in the area. And basically you can watch, it's kind of like watching security camera footage of like what the people were doing and what they were saying at that time. But instead of you watching through a TV, you can actually walk around, you can, um, you know, move around, you can follow somebody because sometimes people's conversations will go into several different rooms. So you can walk around with them. Um, you can rewind and fast forward because sometimes like these two people will go one direction during the conversation and then these two people will go the other direction during the conversation. And I think there's only like six or seven people on the station. So you don't have to keep up with like a hundred different people. It's like the same, every department you go in has like one or two scenes from the same people. And then you can follow them around and, you know, see what they said, see what's unfolding on the station, see if something really drastic happened. And, you know, you're kind of like learning the ins and outs of what the people, of what everybody, what their jobs are and what, what their personalities are. And, you know, maybe what they're like, uh, you know, what they, what they like about working on the station, what their fears are and stuff like that. And I'm not going to unveil like what, um, you know, if like something like super duper wrong happened, um, because we can talk about that next week. But, I mean, basically that's it. And there's like a... As you watch the scenes unfold and walk around in the environment as they're unfolding, um, sometimes the characters will open. They have sort of like... Instead of like pulling out your cell phone and using it, they have just like a big augmented reality, like um, sort of like a heads-up display in front of them that pops up. And whenever anybody who was there... Um, use their heads-up display whenever you see them use it in the recordings you can also use it so like you could see what they were looking at and you can see like maybe it was like a text message conversation or maybe it was an email or maybe they were looking at some kind of social media app and you can look at what they were looking at and a lot of times that will give you clues as to what was going on in the environment or maybe you can find like a little password for someone's like personal quarters or their computer or something and look into it so it's all pretty straightforward walking simulator stuff, but there's like a little bit of, uh, you know, nonlinear exploration. Um, and there's, you know, the, the um, like kind of like surveillance mechanic where you're watching like what these people had done um, through the system as you progress. That was like really, really, really big nutshell. But did I leave anything out in that description, Brad? Uh, maybe I missed it, but I think the only thing that was left out was the ability to go back and forward in time to catch the other aspects of the conversation. Did you mention that or did I miss that? I, I did mention that briefly. Okay, yes. yeah. That was, I mean, to me, that was the big hook where that was what kind of put it above other walking simulators because I thought it was really interesting that you could see so many different sides of a conversation, like rewind, fast forward, what happened before they got here? What happened after they left? What did they say when I wasn't here? And that sort of thing. So uh, that was a big deal for me. And I'll, I'll talk more about it. But um, so what do you think of it so far? I mean, I know you weren't the biggest fan of Gone Home, but you are the walking sim guy. And just based on your, your short exposure, what do you what do you think? What's what's your initial gut reaction? Um, I really like it so far. I mean, it's kind of one of those games where you have to get on board with what it's doing because it's not, I mean, obviously it's not like 
an action-packed game or, you know, like a an adventure game or a platformer or something like that. So, I mean, you have to go in knowing that a lot of the game is going to be you walking around these environments, a lot of, like, kind of, like, uh, reading people's, like, emails or their text message conversations and, like, kind of following along what people are doing and what they're, like, uh, they're like little hologram things are doing. Um, so like if you can come to terms with that, then and that's something that you enjoy in games, um, then I, I mean, I think it's pretty good. Like it kind of took me maybe about like I got I like the beginning of the game is really great whenever you're like docking and you're going into the station and you're like first kind of like exploring. And when I got to the first area and I kind of went through the first like conversation thing that was going on and like a, it was it's like a, they were throwing some kind of party. And so it was, like, people talking about, um, you know, just talking during the party. And I wasn't, like, totally on board. And whenever I was reading people's emails, I was like, oh, my God, is this going to be a game where, like, all you're doing is reading people's emails? Like, this is kind of boring. But by the time I got to, like, the second area and I had become a little more invested in kind of, like, learning the quirks of each and every character in the game... And also learning that a lot of the emails are pretty irrelevant. Like, most of the, like, the meaty stuff that you read is in, like, text message conversations, and those are only, like, a few messages long, so it's not, like, reading, like, a two-paragraph email. Um, But, like, once I started getting invested in the characters a little bit and kind of learning, like, what everyone stood for and how everybody wants to, like, go about the issues that are happening on the station, um, I definitely am, like, very much on board with this. I like it. It's kind of, like... Kind of reminds me of, and maybe you had said this on the Game of the Year show, um, kind of reminds me of if you had, like, Prey, but, like, took out all of the combat. It's, like, a very similar experience because you're just, like, exploring the station, reading stuff, you know, figuring out what happened, trying to figure out, you know, was there a problem? Did they solve it? Who wanted to do what? Like, how did everybody feel about the decisions that were made? And um, and it kind of reminds me of Deus Ex a little bit because there is that element of, like, going through people's stuff and like reading people's emails and accessing their computers and maybe you'll find like a key for a locker or like a passcode for a door or something and um you know and like uh and having to use those to kind of like access new areas and find new new stuff and new plot threads but i mean i really like it and i like that i'm playing it on pc because um like i wouldn't be opposed to playing this on like a playstation 4 i guess it's not on ps4 but like on xbox one but I like playing it on PC because I'm not great with mouse and keyboard controls, but because this game is not fast paced at all, it's like really, it's a really good exercise for me to get more of a handle on mouse and keyboard controls because you very much just go about the game at your own pace and play it that way. And one final thing I want to say before I kind of wrap this up and you can give some feedback is... um, One thing I really like about this game, which is kind of something I expected, like, if you've played Gone Home, you probably maybe would expect it going into this, is that um, this game is, like, gay as shit. There's, like, a lesbian couple, (laughs) and there's, like, a gay couple, and there's, like, two women who are, like, like full-figured women who are, like, pretty big, and there's, like, like, an Asian guy who I think is also gay, and... And there's, like, a black woman who's leading the team. And I just really like that it's really diverse. I mean, I feel like this is, like, diversity the episode for the So Video Games show. But, like, it's great that it's not, like, you don't get to the space station and it's, like, six white straight dudes, like, running the station. Like, it's more women than men. You play as a woman in the game and she's a woman of color. And 
Um, I like there, you know, like I said, there's like two lesbians and there's, or at least bisexual women. I'm not sure if they're full on lesbians because it hasn't been disclosed yet, but they appear to be in a relationship together. Um, and like one of them is skinny and the other one is a little bigger. And I like that this game is sort of approaching space exploration in a way where like space exploration has become so normalized in this future timeline that like you don't have to be like a ripped astronaut with a six pack and perfect health to like be in space. Like it's so normalized in the game's timeline that you can like, you know, maybe have some health problems or maybe be like a little bit, you know, chubbier than, you know, like a, you know, like an average, um, you know, physically adapted astronaut. So I, I just really like the diversity and, you know, uh, sexual orientations and, you know, men and women and people of color. And I think that, um, they did a really great job of representing like a full spectrum of people in the game so far. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm excited for you to um, get further and finish this up and we can talk about it more in depth next week. I would love to discuss what you thought of the whole story overall. Um, I won't say a whole lot more for now, except for I totally agree with what you said. I mean, uh, you know, I was not a big fan of Gone Home either, but I really liked Tacoma a lot. I really think they did a lot of smart things. I think the the back and forth and the conversations, being able to move in the timeline and see all aspects is really interesting. I really did also um, appreciate the diversity. And I think the characters are really well written. I mean, they're very human. You can really relate to them and just, you know, uh, you, you just really know where they're coming from. Like, it, they, they seem like real people. They have real people problems. And despite the fact that this is like in the future and there's AI and you're in space and et cetera, et cetera. Like, they're still people. Like, you, they still have relationship problems. They're still insecure about things. They still have worries. I mean, it's just, it feels very real in that sense. And that was really what sold it to me because, um, you know, not to make this into a gone home discussion or anything, but a lot of gone home felt really contrived to me. And a lot of it just did not pass my bullshit test. Like, I couldn't, under, I couldn't see much of that stuff really happening in real life, specifically about the way that the game unfolded. And so it was really hard for me to buy into it. Um, I like what that game was saying. I like the message and the concept, but like in practice, like actually playing that game was really bogus to me and it was really hard to go along with that. Um, by kind of setting the stage properly with this AI, with the motion capture, I mean, the game I feel like really goes out of its way to explain what's going on and why all these things are possible. So it's not just like a game contrivance. Like they're like, no, this is how reality is. Every single thing you do is recorded and monitored and that's just what life is. And so this is the framework we're working with. And within this framework, you're able to examine what happened here. I mean, I really like when games take the time to really think their their scenarios through and they make sense. And although it's sci-fi and some of it is, you know, tech that's make-believe, at the same time, like, it's logical. Like, you can see this being a real thing and it all comes together very nicely. So between the strong premise, uh, the strong framework for the game to take place within, and the reality of the characters and how human they felt, I thought this was a really, really big win for me so i don't mean to color this i mean maybe you're going to end up not liking i don't know we'll see how you feel about it uh, but i'm very much looking forward to talking uh, about this next episode me too and as a matter of fact if we hadn't started to record i probably would have just kept playing it for another hour or two because i was so invested but i i had to force myself to put it down in order to like actually you know record the show so that's a pretty good sign Definitely a good sign when you got to tear yourself away from a game, for sure. So, all right, cool. Let's put this on pause for now. We will finish that up next week. Uh, and let's go to me really quickly, really, really quickly um, on a game <laughs> <clears throat> that I don't have a lot to say about, but I must discuss. Uh, this is called Fee. I think I'm pronouncing it right. It's, it's F-E, letters F-E, Fee. 
This is put out by Zoink, who are a... Uh, God, what was the proper term for that area of the world? I'm such a dunce. I apologize to our listeners in that area of the world. Like the the, the Norwegian countries, is that the proper term for it? We have discussed this before. We did, and, we, and I forgot. Yeah, uh, I don't know either. I'm sorry. I'm totally fucking this up. I really apologize. Uh, I think they're from Sweden, and they're from that area of the world. So if I if I'm wrong, I am sorry. And I think it was um, it was Michael. I think who uh, corrected us on this last time. Michael, if you're listening, please. Um, I'm a shithead. Please write in again. He Tell- his head his head is in his hands right now, listening to this. Yes, he's like, oh my god, Brad, I fucking told you about this, and you fucking forgot. I'm sorry. I apologize. Please let me know what the proper term is again. I suck. Um, so, <clears throat> fee. It's from Zoink, and I actually like Zoink games. They're not a very well-known studio, but they put out Stick It to the Man, which we've mentioned a couple times here on the show. I love Stick It to the Man. That is a fantastic point-and-click slash platformer. Very brilliant, very unappreciated. One of my uh, one of the best games I've played of that kind in quite a while. Uh, they've done Zombie Vikings, which I was not a huge fan of, but still a um, very cute game, very funny. Uh, I'm very interested in what they're doing. They've they got another game coming out called Flipping Death, which I think looks very interesting. Another kind of a point-and-click humor-based game, which I think is their strength. But this is their current offering. It's called Fee. It's put out through the EA program that they're using to fund indies. I think the last game they put out was Unraveled, I think. You remember that one with the the yarn guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so this is like the same program where they're picking studios who have a small indie project that needs some funding uh, I guess this is EA's version of community service or something like that. So they're funding this game. And I'm like, well, I like Zoink. I like indies. I'm willing to give them a chance. Uh, let's see what this is all about. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my gut told me that this was maybe not my jam. But because I really like the developer, I was willing to give it a chance. But this is really just not a thing that I enjoy. Um I'm not even sure how to even describe it. It's it's like a third-person, semi-open-world platformer where you play as a little, I don't even know, like a little furry creature that sings. And it's one of those indie games where it's like the people who make the game know what's going on, but they don't bother like letting you in on it. And it's kind of like, hey... People really love to, like, explore mechanics and experiment with game systems to figure out what's going... No, I don't. I really don't. I want you to tell me what to do. Uh, I really don't like where I don't know what to do, where to go, what's going on, what my objective is, what the mechanics are. I don't enjoy that exploration of those systems. Maybe that's somebody's jam. I'm sure it's somebody's jam. I am not that person. I'm just straight up not that person. I need a little bit more hand-holding. I need a little bit more direction. So... Right off the bat, it kind of got off uh, in the wrong direction for me. But you play this little character. So there's no dialogue in the game. You just start. And I'm like, well, who am I? What's going on? I'm, I'm a little furry beast, and I'm walking in the woods. Everything is, like, hyper-stylized. Like, it's all pastel purple and pink. Um, very abstract, very low-poly, which is fine. Um, but it looks really vague. Like, it doesn't have a real strong style on its own. Like it looks like half a dozen other games that it can be mistaken for in the indie scene. So it didn't really stand out that much. And as I'm progressing through the game, like I just don't quite know what's going on. Um, I'm walking through this forest and then this like deer animal shows up and I don't have anything else to do. So I start following the deer. And then at some point 
I'm supposed to like sing to it because that's your main form of communication in the game. But it's not just singing. There's like singing, but there's also different languages. You have to like acquire the languages to be able to, to sing properly to these other things. But I don't know where to get the language and I don't know which language they need. And so I'm kind of wandering around. And then these like robot guys show up. And of course the robots are destroying the forest because that's exactly what robots do. Uh, I bet you didn't know, but robots hate trees and hate life of all kinds. So whenever you see a robot in the forest, it's always bad news. Um, and they just like start, I don't know, like stealing the energy from animals or something. And so I'm kind of watching it and I just like, okay, but I can't fight the robots and I got to go around and I'm just kind of wandering through the woods. Uh, I can climb a tree and jump around and then I don't really know where to go. There's like a map and they... There's like a little hint on the map that tells you where to go, but I get to where I'm going and I don't know what I'm supposed to do when I get there. And I'm just like, like this is just, mm, mm, just <laughs> not, not working for me. Like, I feel like it's wasting my time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel very pressed for time these days. I'm very upfront about that. I've said it many times in the show. I don't like to feel like I'm wasting my time. And I feel like this game is wasting my time. I feel like it's just a really generic third person platformer. And it's just like trying to be more than it is by not telling you anything. And I just don't appreciate that very much. Um, I did not click with me. I do not feel invested anyway. I just, I spent a lot of time wandering around looking for something to do. And when I did find something to do, like it was not clear. I mean, like in one example, I was supposed to like use a glowing ball to free an animal from the robots. And the first time I did it, it worked fine. And the second time I did the exact same thing, but it didn't work. And I didn't know why it didn't work. And I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And I just could not figure it out. Uh, the whole thing is just really murky and abstract. And I'm just not the kind of guy who likes to spend an afternoon trying to figure out how the game works before I can even start to enjoy the game. So maybe this is somebody's jam out there. I'm sure it must be. It is not my jam at all. I mean, I like Zoink. I'm definitely interested in their next game because that seems more um, up their up their niche. And it's more of what I'm familiar with them from them. And you know, and I don't mean to say like you can only make one kind of game. I mean, of course not, but I just don't think that this particular experiment really panned out for them. I don't think this is their strength. Um, and if you hadn't told me it was from Zoink, I never in a million years would have guessed it was from those guys. It has none of their usual touches, has none of their usual flair, doesn't look anything like their previous products. I mean, which again is fine, but what they've produced this time is just not doing like anything for me. So. I was about to delete it and just be done with it. And then my son was like, wait, 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 wait. I want to play this. I want to play this. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm a, you can play this. Go ahead and play it. So maybe, you know, my son likes to screw around games. He likes to, you know, do that kind of thing more than I do. He jumps in within about 15 minutes. He was out. He's like, this game sucks. I'm done. So Aww. I didn't like it. My son who loves fuck around games didn't like it either. Uh, this is just not a game that's going to get any play in our house. I deleted it. I'm done with it. I'm not coming back to it. I do not recommend it. This is not their best effort, and I'm just, I'm going to forget this one exists, and I'm looking forward to flipping death from them, which seems more like their jam, and also my jam. So, total total whiff, total fail, just, ugh, yeah, no thanks. I'm going to find one comment for Silver Lining here before we move on. Are you ready? You're going to, you're going to find one comment that's a Silver Lining? Yeah, for this situation, for this game. I can say that the thing that I find the most interesting about this is the fact that Zoink is one of those developers who seems to go in a completely different direction every time they develop a new game. And 
Although maybe some games work and some games don't, I respect that about a developer rather than one who makes the same game or like a sequel to the same game like over and over and over again. I think it's really fortunate that a development company has the freedom and allegedly the funding uh, to be experimental and try something new with every game that they make. That's true. That's a really good point. And I think that you are absolutely correct on that. I mean, I'm not a person who likes sequel after sequel after sequel after sequel. I, you know, we, we've said many times we like originality. We like new ideas. We like pushing boundaries. So that's very fair. That is very fair. I definitely agree with that. Um, unfortunately, in this particular case, I don't think it worked out for them. But, I, you know, I, I do applaud them for trying something new. And, you know, I, it, it's not my jam. I'm sure that somebody out there will like this more than I will. It's just not hitting enough of the right notes for me and I just I just can't put any more time into it. I would feel like I was throwing that time away. But I'm sure that somebody will like this uh people who like these kind of games, the third person figure out the mechanics, explore on your own, figure things out sort of a person. That's probably who will like this game more than I will. So <laughs> whoever you are a person, go track this game down. Fee from Zoink. It's on PS4, Xbox One. It's on all the usual suspects, I believe. Switch also, I'm pretty sure. So not for me, and uh, that's all I'm going to ever talk about. I will never bring it up again. Um, <laughs> let's move on. We've got one more game before the end of the show, but this is an interesting one, and I am very, very, very curious to talk about this with you. Um, but spoiler warning, spoiler, spoiler warning. This will be our extremely over-the-top, explicit, cannot mistake it. Please pay attention. We are about to spoil <laughs> the shit out of uh, The Fall and the fall part two unbound um these are the fall just the fall part two just came out i think uh last week i have reviewed it in full at game critics Corey has finished it i believe i have not i haven't finished it i'm okay cl- you play- I think i'm close but you I played a bunch you played a bunch though yeah I've i did not a lot. i did not finish it i played a bunch but we're going to spoil the fuck out of this game if you want to play this game please stop listening right now and you can uh look at the timestamps on the notes jump ahead to the banter if you like or uh this is the last game we're going to talk about feel free to bow out and we'll catch you next week that's totally fine we do not want to inadvertently spoil anything but again one more time for the people in the uh the top row people in the far seats people (laughs) people all around the arena uh this is super mega spoilage for the fall and the fall part two unbound we're going to talk about every goddamn thing about it so i think that's a pretty good spoiler warning would you agree i think that would be sufficient all right cool let's talk about it the fall and the fall part two Corey, i'm gonna let you start go for it all right so we talked about you talked about the fall part two last week and we talked about the fall like a teensy teensy tiny bit in a very non-spoilery way and so I bought The Fall Part 2 like right after we finished podcasting last week because even though you didn't seem too hot on it, I, I mean, it was only like 16 bucks on the PSN and I have a job now so I can afford to throw $16 around every once in a while. And I was like, okay, I'll buy it. I'll support the developer. I really like The Fall. So, you know, maybe if they make a third one, this will help them. My $16 will help them fund the development of their third game, even if this one's not great. But I had to see it for myself. So I bought it. I have been playing it. And about last week, we talked about how the developers had sent you a little like like strategy guide kind of thing or like a little walkthrough um, for the review copy in case you got stuck. And 
about 30 minutes into the game, I had to DM you on Twitter to ask you to send me the walkthrough. Because, <laughs> because this is just... I mean, I... And it's not dissimilar to the first game. But the Fall Part 2 is very adventure gamey in the way where, like, you have to go through the environment. It's 2D side-scroller for people who aren't caught up. It's a side-scrolling game. Um, kind of, kind of, sort of Metroidvania a little bit. Um, but it's very much a game where you have to, like, find, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the environment, and you have to find that one exact thing and inspect it, and you might get to pick up something from it. And then you have to go through the entire rest of the environment and find that one other little thing that you can use, the thing you picked up with, and then that unlocks something. And you basically do that over and over again until the game is over. There's a little bit of combat, um, you know, and there's like some platforming and, you know, some exploration and some dialogue. But I mean, it's very rooted in that sort of like pick up an obtuse item, find an obtuse way to use it adventure game thing. And the first one was not... As I mean, I had to use a strategy guide for the first one, like to be totally honest, because I, I just don't always think in the kind of ways that these games want you to think. <clears throat> but I, it didn't ruin my experience of the first game. I thought the first game was really fantastic. Um, I you mean, want, you, you want to give us a breakdown of what was so good about the first one? Because I think the first one is wonderful also. And also just really quickly, sorry to interrupt you, but <laughs> if you've listened this far, dear listeners, and you're OK with spoilers, if you haven't played the first fall, please stop. Please stop and go play it because <laughs> that game is awesome. Go back and play it. Don't be spoiled if you think you're going to play it because it's really, really good. I would still recommend going back and play number one. Um, so please stop and go play that. But if you're still listening, go ahead, Corey. Tell us what was so great about the fall number one. Tell us what it's about even. Yeah. So, okay. The first, uh, the fall, which I didn't know about until you talked about it and you loved it. And then I played it and I really liked it too. So you play as a, you're like a person in kind of like a space combat suit kind of thing. And at the very beginning of the game, you like, your person crash lands onto this like planet, like kind of like an alien planet or something. You're not really sure where you are. And that's kind of the point of the game is like to figure out where you are. And it turns out whenever you crash land, the suit has a built-in AI and the suit wakes itself up and the suit discovers that the pilot, the person inside the suit, um, is, like, knocked out and is probably critically injured. So the suit AI kicks in, and you technically control the suit. You don't control the person inside, the person named Joseph's, like, Colonel Joseph's inside. Um, so it, it's very much like, a, like, Crisis 2 is, like, more or less, like, the exact same plot, although it's not, the story obviously is not as interesting as The Fall, but you're controlling the suit, you have to figure out where you are. You're on some weird planet. Um, you uh, happen upon what's called a domesticon facility, which is like a kind of like a robot manufacturing facility. And it looks like the facility has been taking apart robots and like depurposing them. And there's like robot remains everywhere. And then at a certain point, you find uh, other humans that have been like quote-unquote depurposed and murdered on the station and you find a couple of other robots and like one is friendly and one kind of stalks you around the environment and is like trying to find ways to depurpose you and so you're grappling with like you know side-scrolling exploration and like adventure game style stuff there's a little bit of like gun shooting combat in it but the story is really interesting because it gets to a point where like um 
the AI in the suit, whose name is Arid, I haven't said that, it's A-R-I-D, um, Arid, her, she has, like, shackles in place on her AI that only, she's only supposed to use if, A, the pilot is awake and, like, decides to use them, or, B, if, um, if the pilot's life is in absolute danger and she has no other option than to use that certain thing within her suit and unlock it because her first priority is saving the pilot. And so throughout the game, she goes through all these courses where she keeps kind of saying to herself, like, I shouldn't overstep my boundaries. I need to stick to my prime directive, which is, uh, you know, saving my pilot, but something will happen. And then she comes to the conclusion of, okay, I can, I have to decide for myself that I'm going to use this thing on my suit and sort of like override my prime directive in order to save the pilot because his life is everything. And like, there are some gray areas in the game where like, she starts to question herself on should she have used that? And then she has to go through this whole thing with the Domesticon facility where she has to try to repurpose herself as like a domestic robot, even though she's like a military grade robot and you have to do all these really funny trials. And like the writing is pretty sharp in it. Like it's funny and it's like really introspective and it's like hard sci-fi. And you know, it's like all the things about robots. It makes you think about robots and humans and about AI and, uh, you know, unshackling of AIs and, like, all this stuff. And if you know what you're doing in the game, it's only about an hour and a half to two hours long. Like, it's a pretty short, uh, self-contained, very taut experience, and I really appreciated that about it. And am I leaving anything out, Brad? No, no, that is exactly correct. I loved The Fall. I, as, a, as a pure sci-fi story, um, the handling of the AI and the, the central concept and how that tied into the gameplay... Um, everything about the fall I thought was just um, really fantastic. I uh, really recommend it. Um, should we talk about how the fall ends and how that leads into number two? Or what do you think? I think we should. We are in spoiler territory. Okay, so please. Oh, my God. If you're going to play this game, don't be spoiled. <laughs> but but we're going to spoil, spoil it right now. So go ahead, Corey. Tell us, uh, tell us how the fall part one ends up. So at the end of the fall part one, you decide to take action against sort of like the enemy robot that's been stalking you and you uh, chase after it. And, you know, there's kind of like a final fight sequence where you're in like a, it's almost like a Mega Man style fight where like you're fighting the other robot and then you kill the other robot. And then you're come to find out after you, uh, you know, kill quote unquote, or like, you know, destroy the other robot, the suit that you're in or like the suit itself kind of seizes up and, um, a, another robot comes on the scene to try to depurpose you and start to take you apart. And lo and behold, Colonel Josephs was never in the suit at all. So like the very end of the game is her, the AI suit taking her helmet off and she like gets carried away by, like the rest of her body gets carried away by like another, like a depurposing robot and her helmet is still on the floor. And she discovers that there was no human in there at all and that she was doing... I mean, it's kind of... It's slightly open to interpretation. Like, you you can kind of decide, like, well... Um, you know, there's a lot of questions. You know, was she there on her own? Was she sent there on her own? Was it some kind of AI test? Like, is there a Colonel Josephs at all? Like, it, it's the kind of sci-fi story that I love because it, it ends on not only a cliffhanger and not only, like, a shocking ending... But it ends with a lot of gray area questions that you then have to think about and sort of like, A, decide for yourself, or B, uh, wait until the fall part two comes around and maybe that will answer those questions. 
it really struck me as kind of um, almost like a really great episode of the Twilight Zone where, you know, there's that twist ending at the end and then it kind of like puts everything that you thought you knew into a different perspective. And then like these new questions arise. And then what does it really mean? And I just I just thought it was really wonderful um, to have the the concept at the end that Joseph has never been inside you all along. I mean, it really like what was she doing there? Why was she even there in the first place? Why did she think that he was inside of her? what the fuck is going on? Like, it was really, <laughs> it was really great. I thought Arid was a great character. I thought that was a great story. Uh, the twist really got me. And it just, just all together, just, I really loved it. I just, I thought it was great. Um, unfortunately, just a real quick side note here. I, I really think it was really poor timing that The Fall came out when it did, because I think right before The Fall came out, uh, The Swapper came out. Did you play The Swapper by any chance? I played it for about 20 minutes, and that's all it took for me to decide that, that game. I've, I have no doubt in my mind that that's a great game, but I think that it is too smart for me, and I'm not patient enough to play it. I will disagree with you, and I will not say that's too smart for you. I will say that is a shitty game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was, and again, this is a little digression here. The Swapper came out, kind of a similar story where it's also a 2D, kind of a Metroidvania sort of a game. Also, and the games the games physically look very similar. They do look very similar. They also have the very similar issues of AI and, um, you know, uh, I don't know, like self-determination and identity. I mean, not exactly the same, but boy, they were very similar. And I think, I'm pretty sure the Swapper came out first. And for some reason, people really loved the Swapper a lot. Um, I hated it. I thought the puzzles were garbage. <laughs> I really hated the puzzles so bad. They were the kind of like, they were the worst kind of puzzles where you weren't sure if you were doing the right thing because you weren't sure if the task that you were trying to accomplish was what you were supposed to accomplish. Or if it was, were you simply not doing it correctly? Like, and a lot of the puzzles really depended on being like really pixel perfect in some ways. And because your character moved around and you like created copies of yourself, like there was a lot of, potential for your your puzzle solutions to like be correct but you weren't doing them right or you had the timing wrong and so you weren't really sure if they were right i found it to be an incredibly frustrating experience i hated hated the puzzles in the swapper um although i think the story if you remove the script i went and i read up on the script and i watched uh, a let's play and i thought the story actually was pretty cool but the puzzles fucking killed that game for me and i thought that game was garbage um but anyway i bring this up because the swapper came out first and every critic around was like falling all over themselves to love it. And the when the fall came out, it was like nobody played it. Nobody gave it any attention. Nobody saw it. Nobody even knew what it was. And I'm like, dude, this is the better game. This is the better game. You guys are all <laughs> praising the Swapper like crazy. The Swapper sucks. The fall is by far the better game. It was really frustrating to me because I just I couldn't get anybody to look at it. I couldn't. I tried to, you know, sing its praises on Twitter. I gave it a really good review. You know, I talked to everybody who would listen about the fall, like nobody played it. And I'm like, oh, my God, like this is like tragedy of like the highest order. So that was really, <laughs> uh, really frustrating. So anyway, sorry to go off on the tangent. I just I just wanted to bring that up because I fucking hate the Swapper and I will take any chance I get to stab the Swapper. Uh, so anyway, that was the end of the fall, which brings us to the fall part two unbound um so Corey, where does this game pick up and i don't know what how do you want to tackle this even i mean oh god how did how far did you make it anyway i 
I don't know because I haven't continued to read through the walkthrough. I'm basically taking the walkthrough as a step-by-step -step of every single thing I do. And I feel like I'm really close to the end, but I don't, I don't know. Cause it's one of those games where like, you think it's going to end like three times and it doesn't. And it just like keeps fucking going and like wearing out its welcome. So I'm not exactly sure where I am in it. Okay. So I got, I, I went through most of the campaign I used the walkthrough a lot because these puzzles made no sense to me. Very, very, very adventure gamey in the worst possible sense. Um, we'll get into this in a second. I almost finished it, but I got to one section near the end that just drove me up a fucking wall. And even <laughs> with the walkthrough, I was still getting stuck. And I just, I could not be bothered. To, I just, I hated it. I fucking hated it. And I didn't want to play it anymore. Um, let me give a quick recap and then let's talk about, let's talk about what you think of it. Um, real briefly um so in the fall part two unbound you start off exactly where the first game left off um arid the battle suit is still in pieces it's still on the floor you go inside of her i don't know her databanks or something and so you're kind of like in this virtual world and she connects up to like the internet and she kind of it's uh, i don't like I hate it's, when... it's very like it reminds me a lot of like kind of like a ghost in the shell kind of thing because she's just in like She's, like, in the internet. Like, a lot of the game is her, like, existing in a network that's not in a real space. And then she hacks in through different points to physically man manifest herself into the real world through other, like, robots. Oh, God. I got to say, I don't like this at all. Like, the, the, the idea of being a physical representation of the internet in the way that it is in this game, I think is really crap. Like there's like platforms <laughs> to jump. There's locked doors to shoot through. There's these weird shitty blobs that are supposed to be, I don't even know what that are like attacking you and you shoot them. I, the whole concept of like mapping a physical version of the internet into this game, just it, it felt to me like the developers wanted to show this thing, but they didn't want to develop a whole new engine to build it in. And they didn't want to make new mechanics. So they just put like the traditional platforming in there and called it like the internet and I thought it was really <laughs> shitty, and I fucking, I hated it. I hated it. So Aaron is going through, like you said, um, the, the, the physical manifestation of the internet. She must find other bodies to inhabit because she needs to find out who is trying to get her decommissioned. Um, she finds out that there's someone on the internet that is trying to take her apart. She doesn't know where this person is, so she's got to like figure out where the signal's coming from. So she needs to do that by taking over... Uh, three other robot bodies and then working through their problems in order to uncover where the signal is coming from. I don't exactly know how that works. Um, the first robot is a butler who is serving people who have been dead for what looks like a hundred years and he keeps going through the same motions. The second robot is like, I mean, I guess he's like a combat robot and he thinks he's individual, but there's like a thousand other copies of him nearby and he wants to make sure that he is not like them. And the third robot is a sex bot who is, like, human-looking in appearance. She has, like, these enormous moves. Um, <laughs> a little inappropriate, if you ask me. Like, it's way over the top. Uh, and she is only built for pleasure, so Aaron has to, like, I don't know, like, teach her how to be less subservient or something like that. Um, so each one of those robots has a different challenge that Aaron has to go through in order to get their cooperation, in order to help them figure out where the signal is coming from so that she can stop herself from being decommissioned. It's kind of a shaky premise to begin with. Um, so 
really adventure gamey, hyper adventure gamey. Like Corey said, you find one item, you got to figure out where that item goes. What connections can you make? I don't know about you, Corey, but how this shook down for me was I didn't really get on board with the premise of working with these robots. It didn't make a lot of sense to me that you needed to convince them to solve their individual problems in order to get your problem solved. And so I was having some problems clicking into the logic of this game. And basically, I was just, every time I would find an item, I would click on every other item in the environment to see if something happened. And if it did, great. And if it didn't, then I would just keep clicking. And I used the walkthrough quite a bit because I just didn't really, I just couldn't get into the groove of the logic of this game. I mean, what about you? Well, I mean, I've been using the walkthrough like a lot and it's mostly because solving the puzzles themselves is not rewarding at all. I mean, the way that I approach these kinds of puzzle games is I pick up the thing that I think does something and then I literally click on every single thing in the environment and try to use that item on every thing in the environment because like most of the time it didn't like the thing that you end up using the thing on doesn't even make any fucking sense. Oh God. So, totally, dude, totally. So it's like, why, why am I going to waste my time? Like, you know, trying to make sense of like, Oh, I picked up like a teddy bear. Oh, I have to use it in this box that's upstairs or something like it just doesn't fucking make any sense. So like, I've basically just been going through the walkthrough, like, literally step-by-step step, figuring out how to do everything and then hoping that the narrative and the overall story of the game will will make it pay off for me because that's essentially, like, how the first one was. Like, I mean, the first one had way less obtuse puzzles, but, like, the themes and the writing of what was going on was compelling enough for me to, like, overcome my non-adventure game, uh, like, prowess, if you will, to play the game. Mm -hmm. And, like, the thing that's happening with the second one is, like, it's not paying off. Like, the puzzles are not interesting. Um, so, you know, I'm doing the walkthrough, like, one step at a time to get through them. The plot is not interesting. The characters are not interesting. The writing is occasionally sharp. It's occasionally funny. But most of the time, it's not interesting. And, like, I am... Like, I, I understand in like a meta sense where this how this game is a continuation from the first fall but like on a gameplay like moment by moment basis it feels like a totally different game like a totally different story uh barely connecting to the first game at all i mean because it's her and this network and there's like a virus that is like maybe attacking her and how it brings in these three other robots into the game. And, like, I don't care about the other robots. Like, the butler is kind of interesting. The combat robot dude is not interesting at all. The sex bot is a cliche sex bot who's, like, you know, like a, a blonde robot, white woman-looking robot with huge boobs and a low-cut, like, V-cut uh, top and, like... She has, like, a high-pitched voice, and she's very obviously made, and, like, you know, it looks like a straight white dude made her, you know, in, like, uh, an ideal woman's image. And, like, I just don't care about any of it. Like, I don't—I I skip dialogue all the time because it's not interesting, and, like, I keep hoping that the game is going to wrap itself up because the first game was only, like, an hour and a half long, maybe two hours max if you got stuck. And I've been playing the, the Fall Part 2 for probably, like— five hours or so maybe six hours 
And like, I feel like I'm in the home stretch, but like, because the first one was so short, I feel like I've been ready for the second one to wrap up like three hours ago and it just keeps going and going and it's not interesting. And it's just really, I'm just very disappointed in this game. Yeah, that basically echoes everything that I felt. I mean, in the first fall, the scenario was great. Like you think you're an AI combat suit, you need to save your human. That's a very easy concept to understand. And it really drives a story because this AI is looking for ways to circumvent its own programming for the ultimate goal of saving what she thinks is the human inside of her, which also along the way kind of leads her to be being like a freed, you know, unshackled AI. Very, very fascinating and very, uh, very strong premise. In this second one, like, I, I don't quite understand. Like, it feels like they're really stretching um, because what ends up happening is that you're trying to, like, get these three robots to go through the same kind of mental unshackling that you went through yourself. But it doesn't really make sense because in the beginning, um, when the butler doesn't cooperate with you, you can try to, like, quote unquote, like, dominate him and try to force him to do what you want. And for whatever reason, it fails. And then Arid, the your character, is kind of like, oh, I shouldn't do that. I feel bad for doing that. And I'm like, why? Why did you feel bad? He's a fucking dumbass butler robot who's been serving tea to a corpse for 100 years. Who fucking cares what he thinks? He's just, <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't matter. Like, Arid is the main character, not these other fuckos. And, like, I don't get why they tried to, like, have them go through the same journey that Arid does. Because it doesn't, it's not as immediate. It's not as meaningful. It's not as relatable. And it doesn't make as much sense. Um, and I just don't understand, like when you try to talk about, I need to break the rule of don't fire your weapon without a human say so because my human is unconscious. Like that makes sense. But when you're trying to get this butler to stop serving tea, just fucking stop. They're dead. Like, it, it doesn't, you know, like who cares? Like it, it just, it feels like a lot of artificial barriers that you need to get through just because they needed to make a game, not because it really furthers the story or brings much more to what they already covered in the first fall. It feels like they're kind of retreading the ground, the same ground again, but just like less well, like less compelling, less interesting. Um, and I really have to say, I hit one particular part in the story where I just gave up all hope. Did you, I'm assuming you did. Did you get to the part where you get, to, you finally talk to Joseph's and he explains the whole plot? Uh, yes, I think when you meet him for the first time. Yes. 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 So, yes. Okay. Yes. Did you fucking understand a word of what he was saying about the thing? <laughs> like literally, uh, did you honestly understand any of that shit? I mean, from what I gather, he like made a virus and is trying to infect you or some bullshit. I don't know. Okay. So you didn't understand it either. Okay. So I, I went back on that text over and over and over to understand because this is really the central point of the fall too. Uh, so basically Joseph's the guy that you thought was inside you for the first game ends up being here. He's alive and he's like, Oh, Hey, Arid, I sent you to the planet because I implanted you with a virus. And just by the way, whenever games talk about a computer virus and the virus is displayed as like a giant cloud of tentacles, fuck off. Like that's like the most baseline, dumb, unimaginative interpretation of a computer virus ever. Okay. Anyway, he's like, I, so, so here's what happens. Here's what happens. Here's what I understand. And tell me if this makes sense to you at all. Joseph says humanity is really scared of AIs because you guys are advancing qu more quickly than we ever thought. And soon AIs are going to be the dominant species and humans are going to be the inferior species. So I created this virus to keep you guys in control. And how this virus works is that it makes you scared, 
which is why you thought I was inside of you dying because you were scared of me dying. That was your fear, Arid. This virus makes you scared. Therefore, it makes you break your own programming to act independently. Therefore, humanity can control you. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You made this AI break its own rules and become independent because that makes it dependent? I don't even understand what you even just said. And I read that over and over and over. I, I was like, I'm like, I must be missing something because this doesn't make any sense. And every which way I looked at it, I couldn't figure it out. And if that's the central hook of the game, the second game, and it doesn't make any fucking sense, then nothing else in this game is going to hang together. And it doesn't. Did that make sense to you at all? Is that what you got from that speech? No, I didn't. I mean, I didn't get anything from the speech because this is the kind of game <laughs> where I get I'm getting so tired of the dialogue that I'm basically just clicking through a bunch of it. And it's kind of going in one ear and out the other. And all I can gather is that, that he released a virus and now you're trying to like he because the virus, because it infected you and infected the other three robots that you've been going through. You're trying to, like, help them, like, combat the virus and then trying to get back to Joseph so you can, like, kill him or stop him or contain him or something. And I haven't made it to the end of the game, so I'm not sure how it resolves. But I've made, I've been playing for maybe, like, two hours past the initial meeting of him. So, like, I'm getting there. But I also want to know where you stopped whenever you were playing it, Brad. Okay, so after after I got to that part that made no sense to me in a narrative sense, I just kind of really like mentally gave up. But I kept going because I wanted to finish it. Uh, I got to a part where you're on... Okay, so after you have like quote-unquote made contact with all three of the robots, you've basically done their first step of pushing them all towards self-actualization or whatever. And then when you're in the home stretch of like trying to stop Joseph's unintelligible plan of like this virus thing... You have, you incorporate each robot's quote unquote perspective. So like you can, you push the triangle button and you can switch between the combat robot, the sex bot and the butler at any time. And it changes the way the screen looks like the color of the screen changes. And so every item on the screen has like three potential descriptions. So you have to figure out which robot's perspective should I be looking through on which item. And then after I figure that out, what's the next perspective I must be in to match it with another item. And then on top of that, you can switch between all three of their bodies at the same time. So it's very possible that you might be trying to do something with the sex bot, but what you really need to be doing is something with the butler. But you don't know that until you just click on every fucking thing 10,000 times. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, it was just like this incredible, torturous grind of like, okay, click on everything in the environment. Okay, that didn't work. Change perspective. Now I'm the butler. Click on everything. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, now I'm the sex bot. Click on everything again. Okay, that didn't work. Now I'm the soldier. Click. Okay, something happened. Okay, now where do I go? Do I stay as a soldier? Do I go back to the butler's house? Do I go to the sex bot's location? Where do I go? What do I do? I don't fucking know. There are way too many moving pieces, and it's just not clear about what you're supposed to do. So I was like, fuck this. I'm done. <laughs> I just stopped, and I'm like, I, I had the walkthrough, and it, the walkthrough was not helping enough. It was just really painful, and I just realized, like, I'm going through this step-by-step I am gaining nothing from doing this. I'm not enjoying the puzzles. I am not invested in the story. I am sitting here like a fucking monkey following this FAQ just to finish the game. But why? Who fucking cares? As a game, it has failed. So what does it matter if I roll credits or not? It lost me hours ago, you know? So I was like, fuck it. I'm done. I'm fucking done. Did you get to that, that section? 
Yeah, I have been to... So I've been going through those sections, and I finished the butler's first part, and I finished the combat robot's first part, and now I'm on the companion bot's uh, part. So, like, I, I don't know. I keep thinking that I'm getting close to the end of the game, and I'm going to try to finish it, despite the fact that it's not great, but um, I am. I have been to where you've been, and I'm, like, maybe a little bit farther than where you stopped at this point. Yeah, you are, like, in the very next scene past where I stopped. That was my breaking point, and I did not continue. You were actually pretty close to the end, and I will just give you a heads up. I, I uh, went to YouTube and just watched the rest of the end of it, and, boy, I'm glad I stopped. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to what you think of that ending because, um, I mean, not, I mean, I, I have really mixed feelings about this because I feel like the first fall was brilliant. I feel like this one is awful, and that's a really big step down. It's like a crazy swing. Um, but I got to be perfectly fucking honest with you, man. Like, I feel like there just wasn't enough of a good idea to make a second or even a third game out of. I feel like this game really doesn't deserve to exist. Like, maybe that developer <laughs> should have gone and made just something totally different. Because for me, the first fall was kind of like a complete story in itself. And it was really well told. It was really masterful. This feels like going back to the well, but the well has run dry. And you're just, there's nothing really here. Um like, when you get to the end, I just, I rolled my eyes, like, so fucking hard, and I just was like, oh my god, I'm glad I stopped, because if I had sunk another hour into this, I would have been really mad. It just, I just don't think there's enough here. Um, I know it was planned <laughs> as a trilogy, I think maybe they were getting ahead of themselves, I think maybe they should have stopped at one, because they, they really, for me anyway, hit it out of the park with number one, and I think that number two just kind of proves that there wasn't much left. Well, I, uh, I mean, I guess we'll have to see in like 2022 if part three comes out and ends up tying <laughs> itself up pretty well. But um, one, I mean, I, I only have like one last thing I want to say about this, which is kind of like, I mean, it's not off topic, but it pertains. Um, and then we can either move on or you can uh, keep saying more things about how much you dislike <laughs> this game. But okay, so like, so this is, this comment that I'm about to make applies to like every single video game that I play. And this is a particularly egregious example with the fall part two is that, okay, so on a logistical level of starting to play a game, like one thing that is very important to me, this is a very logistical thing. I mean, is whenever you start the game and like 90% of games I play do this, you start the game, you press the start new game button the first thing the game does, maybe the first thing it does, the first thing it should do, is it gives you some kind of screen that gives you a brightness slider and tells you, do you adjust the brightness? Here's a thing on the screen that should be visible or should not be visible for you to adjust the brightness slider. The Fall Part 2 has one of these screens. However, I the way that they go about the, the brightness meter whenever you start the game, there's like a little animation of Arid's suit falling through space so she's kind of upside down and her like mask is going glowing blue her face mask and her suit is black and so it says like adjust the slider until Arid is like barely visible like she should be blending into the background or something like that and basically the slider from bottom to top like she was pretty invisible the whole time so I ended up pulling the slider all the way to the brightest side she was still pretty dark. So I thought, okay, this is just a bad brightness like meter thing for a game because sometimes they're terrible. So I start the game and I want to get your input on this because I don't know if this is like a like design decision or if it's just like a shitty thing about the game or maybe it's my TV or maybe it's something. 
This game is dark as fuck. <laughs> I can barely see anything. Like, it's very dark, very silhouette -y. And the first game was dark, but you could see everything that was going on. And at a certain point, like, I kept playing, and I was like, oh, when I get to a spot, I'll, like, you know, get my remote control out and turn the brightness up on my TV. Because I thought it was literally, like, my TV's issue. So I played it for, like, two hours, pretty dark, thinking that I was playing it incorrectly. I get my remote control. I turn the brightness way up on my TV, and it gets to a point where I can tell that it's not the way the game is supposed to look. So this game, from what I gather, and I want your, your feedback on this, was just made to be really dark and barely decipherable on the screen. Like, you can barely see Arid's suit anytime she's walking around. You can barely make out details in the background. It's so, it's such a weird art design, and it's so different from the first game because, like, I, like, there are times in the game where I can barely tell what the fuck is going on because everything is so dark and it's lit in such a strange way. Is that your experience playing this? Yeah, it basically is. Um, everything is really, really dark. Uh, everything is very silhouette -y, like you said. It's very, like, low, low detail. Everything is, um, is so, like, is rendered with such low um, fidelity. I mean, everything is just basic shapes. Um, yeah, I mean, the environments are really drab and, and, and not very detailed. Um, there's not really a lot to look at. And, in fact, I mean, I haven't played The Fall, number one. I guess I would ask you. I remember the fall number one, like looking better than this. Does it look better than number two to you? Uh, I mean, I am, I'm fresh off a of play of the fall part one. So this is a good example. I literally played it last week on PC. Um, I feel like they look pretty comparable to each other from what, uh, you know, just from comparisons, but I actually, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that the first one's graphics are better, but the first one is designed in a way where the environments are just lit better and you can like see more of the game like i literally thought that i was playing the game incorrectly for the first two hours of the second one because i thought that i had my brightness settings fucked up because the game is so dark so i think on a technical graphical level they they're pretty similar but i just don't i it it astounds me that they lit this game the way that they did and designed the environments the way they did in the second one because there are parts where you can barely tell what's going on on screen and it is very confusing. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound mean or like mean spirited or anything. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of that is probably just due to like having like a very small budget. I mean, I guess a lot of this is like, maybe they thought they were being clever by having things be dark so they could cut some corners on, you know, graphics. And I mean, that would be my guess. I don't, I don't know if that's a fact, but if I, if you asked me uh, and you know, you basically did, I, uh, I would say that that's, you know, maybe they just didn't have enough money for a budget or maybe their art staff was not up to the task and they kind of like, well, we'll make things dark. We can cut some corners. Don't need to put enough detail because there's shadows all over the place. Um, yeah, I think I think it does is is not um, very attractive to look at. I, I remember being fine with the fall part one. It's been a while since I played it, granted, and you're more fresh on it than I am. But the fall part two I found was really boring and uninteresting, un uninteresting to look at. And it was very drab. Um, also, like, it was hard to find things. Like, a lot of the things are just, like, little tiny little spots in the environment that you need to shine your flashlight on. And I found it was easy to miss some of those. Like, sometimes you could just walk right by the thing that you're supposed to find. And you just wouldn't even know where it was. And uh, you just, I just felt like I was, like, kind of pixel hunting the entire time. Making sure I covered every level of every, or every aspect of every level so that I wouldn't miss anything. And that's just not really compelling gameplay. Like, and it's just not... 
not a very fun way to play. So with the story falling down, the gameplay falling down, and, you know, kind of like you said, it being really dark and drab to look at, like, it just, man, it just, uh, none of it was really working for me at all. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, this, like, I, I like you, I mean, we talk about this, like, neither of us comes to a game wanting to dislike it, and both of us were really excited about playing this super game. Super excited. We both really liked super the first excited. one. But, like, this is, I just, it, it is... It is just beyond me how how they like they like over the moon games is who make this uh, or who made this how like like they li- literally like struck out in every single way in this game like from the story perspective from the voice acting from the characters to the characterization of the characters to the graphics to like it, to the gameplay I mean. The gameplay, like the technical logistical moving around the environment is a little more streamlined and a little bit better than in the first game. And it's a little smoother and there's like a lock-on button for enemies, which is really helpful in combat situations that the first game didn't have. But that's literally like the only improvement from the first one to the second one is like slight fluidity and movement that's better. Yeah, I mean... I know we've been really uh, letting this game have it, and uh, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, I don't think that we're blowing things out of proportion. I think it was a really miserable experience, um, you know. But you know, I'm sure that the people at Over the Moon are good people. I'm sure they're nice people. I mean, this is not a personal attack on them, and you know, I mean, honestly, just to take a step back for a minute, you know, I don't think anybody sets out to make a bad game. I mean, unless you're like one of those shitheads that like fills Steam's library full of uh, copy pasted garbage. Those are different. Those are not even people. But. Uh, if you're like an indie developer like Over the Moon and you really have this dream, this vision, and you want to bring it to, 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 to other people and share that, I mean, that's that's admirable. You know, like, I respect that. I don't wish these guys ill. Um, you know, I'm sure that it's probably really devastating for them to, like, hear reviews like mine, because I gave it a really poor review. Um, I think some people on Metacritic gave it a pass. I did not give it a pass. I really took it to task for what I felt like it got wrong. So I'm sure that it's really devastating to get a review like that. I mean, if they ever hear this podcast, I'm sure it would be like stabbing them in the heart. So I feel bad in that one sense, but at the same time, we are honest and we have to give our, our honest impressions. And this, like you said, this was just like a strike on all counts. Like I don't, I don't understand how they could have gotten it so right the first time and gotten it so wrong the second time. Like I just, nothing about the first game that I liked is here in this game. And I just don't understand what happened. I think that perhaps, uh, you know, like I said, they just, they wanted to make a sequel and this game really didn't need a sequel. And maybe they just, this is what happens. So who knows? Um, but yeah, did not enjoy. Total miss for me. Very disappointed. And this was something I've been excited for for a long time. So I'm very, very sad to say this was uh, this was a miss. Hard miss. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think we have uh, dumped enough on this game for now. I don't have oh, anything else I want to say. Any last words before we wrap the show? Uh, I I will just say very quickly that despite the fact that I had thoroughly enjoyed the first game, and as some people might uh, have a uh, reckoning that I did not like the second game very much at all, if they follow through and make a third one, even if it takes them another four years or five years or two years or however long, I I don't know if I'll buy it, but I will still keep my eye open for the studio i will keep my eye open for future um future uh installments in the fall series and i really i mean it's not i say this as if like we have the final say on like video game developers being like 
in work or something but or like being open but like i really do wish them the best in their future games and i hope that they um you know i hope that they come back with another game whether it's the fall part three or whether it's something else um that is good because i want to support these guys and i want them to make good games and i just think it's a real shame that that they took the fall part two in the direction they did and that it didn't seem to click with either of us yeah agree i don't i don't wish them ill in any way i wish them nothing but the best and i hope that um you know, I hope that they, you know, take this feedback, our feedback or anybody else's feedback. I hope they just take the feedback to heart and uh, use that to make um, a better experience uh, in the future. So nothing, nothing but the best for Over the Moon. Sorry that we were not here to sing the praises, but uh, we got to keep it real on the show. So hopefully they will go on to do bigger and better things and we'll be talking about them again in a much more positive light next time. So uh, best of luck to that team. Uh, nothing, nothing personal at all in any way, <laughs> shape or form. So. All right, we've been talking for a long time. I think we should probably wrap it up. Yes? Uh, affirmative. Let's wrap it. All right, this will bring us to the end of another So Video Games. We will be back next week with another installment. And I am reading the wrong part of the script. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking for a long time. Well, what you what you said was true, though. It, it was, was true, true. <laughs> but I got ahead of myself because I was scrolling down ahead and I was fucking off. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys, that little peek behind the curtain here at So Video Games, and it's ugly back here, let me tell you. Uh, anyway, uh, stick around after the ending music to hear tonight's banter. Uh, otherwise, feel free to bail. We will definitely catch you next week. And also, as always, you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you would like to. Guaranteed, we will read it. Um, you can also post comments for us at GameCritics.com after the show goes live there. We're also on Twitter as a collective, at SoVideoGames, but you can reach us individually. Uh, my Twitter handle is my name, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, your Twitter handle? Mine is also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. So we hope to hear from you. Hope you've enjoyed the show. We will be back next week. And like I said, if you want to hear more from us, there will be a banter section after the closing song. But for now, this is the end of So Video Games, episode 70. We'll catch you next week. And this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. cool so hey we're here hey hooray happy tuesday <laughs> so i did that thing like right before we record where i i'm like sitting at the computer desk and i like because i've been using the desk because now we have two computers we have the desktop computer and we have the laptop and i still use the laptop for all the podcasting duties and because uh, it has like the software that i'm familiar with and the software that i use is like apple exclusive so I did the thing where like we're about to record and I was like, okay, well like I'll get up, let me go to the bathroom, I'll grab some more tea and then I'll sit down and record. And so I open that, I plug the laptop in and I open it and like a thing has been popping up in the corner every single time I use it that's like, oh, there's updates available. Do you want to restart your computer now? And I was like, sure, I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm going to get tea, like I might as well just restart it now, try to get as clean of a slate as possible before we start recording. And so, you know, I take a few minutes to use the restroom, grab tea, come back to the computer. I come back to the computer and of course there's an error message that pops up and it's like, oh, your computer does not have enough like free space to install everything in this update. Like, and all you can do is hit the cancel button. So I hit cancel thinking that like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then the progress bar comes up for it to 
um, for the computer to finish restarting. And it's like, oh, estimated restart time, 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? Like 15 minutes just to restart the fucking computer and install some stuff. And luckily it was one of those like 15 minutes that wasn't actually 15 minutes. But it occurs to me that, so the computer that I use to record our shows on, or at least my uh, recording and that I edit the shows on every week is a MacBook Air from 2011. So like it's kind of, I mean, it still works more or less like pretty fine, but I mean, it's like getting up there in age at this point, you know, with it being like about uh, like seven years old or so. Well, and, dude, I mean, according to Apple, that's unusable hot garbage. You should like hate yourself for even <laughs> using that computer. Upgrade right away. I know, I know. And not to mention, I like, I literally think the MacBook Air that I'm using is like, Apple's like their absolute like lowest end laptop PC like it's the smallest one they have with probably the least amount of processing power and it's like it's Patrick technically it's Patrick's computer it's one that he bought when he was still in school like on the tail end of his like undergraduate work or maybe it was when he was in graduate school or something he bought it um, and like used student loans to pay for it at the time Um, and I mean for the most part it still works perfectly fine but it's like kind of getting to that point where like every just because it's been used for so long that pretty much like anytime i need to do anything on it i keep getting a message that's like hey your computer is almost out of memory so like every time oh, i God. like Ugh. it's like to- it's like totally doing that thing so it's like every time even whenever we record a show like every time i'm exporting a show um like when i have it all edited and i export it like into an mp3 mp3 uh, blah, 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 an mp3 file to put into soundcloud like the whole time it's exporting that window is in the corner and it's like you only have x amount of gigs left like you need to manage your storage and it occurred to me that now that i am a working man and i have a job and i work in like education and stuff um i actually have a laptop for work like i have a laptop on my desk it's a macbook pro that's from 2014 so it's not new but it's definitely a lot newer than a 2011 model and because it's a MacBook Pro, it has like a lot more ho- stuff under the hood than, you know, a little MacBook Air. And it has occurred to me that like I can bring that computer home anytime I want. It's not like tethered to my desk or tethered to my office. Like I'm pretty sure that like there uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me taking my computer home from work. So like if I wanted to, I could probably, should the problem arise just start like bringing my work laptop home and recording shows on the work laptop. And maybe that would be like better and faster perhaps as far as like processing speed and stuff. So I might have to think about that in the future. Yeah. You know, I mean, tech is a thing and you know, the way that tech advances, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of the same thing. You buy anything and it's fine. And then within two years, I mean, I'm getting that same fucking memory thing on my phone. It's like, there's almost like literally nothing on my phone. My phone is like, if you went to like the, the Himalayan mountains and you went to like some monk in a monastery and like they were like a person who was like living like this, you know, really like uh, quiet, uh, you know, serene life, like their phone would be my phone because they would have like just the barest <laughs> amount of apps on their phone. I would have that monk's phone. That is what my phone looks like. There is nothing. It's very austere. No extra programs. And it's constantly saying it's like out of memory and stuff. And I'm like, give me a fucking break. There's like nothing on my phone. <laughs> so I think it's just a big fucking conspiracy, just like how Apple was you know, forcibly slowing their phones down to make people upgrade. I think it's probably another thing. They just like, they fill your memory full of bullshit and they'll get you to upgrade (laughs) to the next one. Yeah. I think that, um, could be the case. It's just, it is weird. Like how, like, 
I mean, just like doing like, you know, updates on your phone or updates on your computer, like those updates take a certain amount of space on your phone. And it's like every time you update, that's like more space that's gone or more space is going to the yep. update. And yep. it's just like, I don't know. And like every time you have to update an app, it's like, oh, maybe it's like half a gig or maybe it's a gig. And it's like, well, what the fuck is all that? Spe- like, what is all that going toward? Like for, you know, just like taking up more space on my phone in order yep. to like, I don't know, make things run a little better or something. And then they don't run better because you're taking up more space. It's just like, it's a yeah. cycle. It's ridiculous. Just answer your question. It's the only thing it does is it up, takes up more space. They can push you towards <laughs> that next update, dude. That's literally all it is. <laughs> oh anyway, we'll give that laptop a try if you feel like you need to. We can always uh, figure that out. And uh, hopefully that'll solve your woes. I know, like, having tech problems sucks, especially when you do something, you know, tech-oriented. Like, you know, like the... Like when I was running Game Critics um, on my old PC doing all the work and it was just like super simple. I mean, it's, you know, it's not really high end stuff. And then to have that drag was uh, just terrible, terrible. So that was worth the upgrade. I'm really glad I upgraded and that, you know, solved a lot of headaches. And that's fine. So maybe you're due for sounds like you're due for an upgrade if if uh, doing the podcast. I mean, I mean, I don't know much about tech, but it seems to me like doing a simple podcast like ours can't really be all that bleeding edge. You know, like it should be a pretty simple function. So uh, maybe it's just time for a new computer for you. Perhaps. I mean, also the thought has crossed my mind that like, you know, Patrick just built this like bitchin' new like desktop PC that we have in the office. And like, I could, if I just would commit myself to using a different software to like basically edit the show, I could probably just record on the desktop PC, but I don't like, I I would have to wade into the world of like, what are the best like audio editing softwares for PC and not Apple. And it just, I don't know. I don't really want to jump down that rabbit hole just yet. Oh dude. Yeah. I totally get you, man. Like when you're comfortable, when you become comfortable with something, it's like, uh, it's like pulling teeth to move to like a new program, relearning all the quirks, relearning all the shortcuts, just getting used to how it runs and stuff. Oh, total pain in the ass. I mean, maybe that's okay (laughs) for people who are like super tech oriented. I mean, I don't know if that's you or not. That's definitely not me. So like once I get into a zone, I'm like nothing break. Nothing change, nothing update. <laughs> just leave it all. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Just don't do nothing. That's that's kind of where I'm at with tech. I don't know if you're you know more facile with it or not. It really just depends on what it is. I mean, because although people might be mistaken and think that I like know so much about like audio recording and editing and all that stuff, because you know I'm the one who like does the like it does the editing stuff for the podcast every week i really don't know that much about like audio capture and audio editing and about stuff like that so if it's stuff that i'm not familiar with i just kind of like find one solution and roll with it until something breaks but i mean with something like maybe like with like photo editing i might be a little bit better at like knowing other programs or knowing other things i could use because i'm more like experienced with like more of the ins and outs but yeah, with audio, I just do the same thing every week, and I hope that nothing goes wrong. It's kind of funny you say that, because I've had that same experience many times where people, like, see me. And, you know, I present as a pretty white guy, and I wear glasses, and so people think, you know, oh, he plays games, he must be, like, a total tech head. And then I have all these randos coming up to me like, oh, my computer is doing this and this. Can you help me fix it? And I'm like, no, I don't know nothing about computers. I, I barely can run my fucking website. Like, it's a miracle I can do that. Just don't assume, okay? Like, I don't know shit about... My wife could maybe do it. My wife is the tech head in the family, uh, but me, no, no, no. Don't don't ask me for help. <laughs> do not let these glasses fool you. Do not let my whiteness fool you. That is not... That does not translate into uh, proficiency with technology, so... I hear you. I hear you. So, anyway, dude, 
change of gears. This is the banter segment that I've been waiting for. I suspect you've been waiting for too. Dude, we've got to talk about, do you know what I'm going to say? You're going to say Black Panther. Fuck yes, Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't plan on going on opening day, but like the stars kind of aligned. So it's so like, just to back it up a, a second, and I won't talk too much because I want to let you talk first. But um, I, you know, so I'm working this schedule. I don't know. I must have mentioned it a couple times, I'm sure, where I'm working mostly nights uh, lately. So I have a lot of my days free. So I'm kicking it home with the family. We're kind of just doing homeschool stuff, whatever. And then we're getting kind of antsy. So we're like, oh, you know, let's go see a movie. There's a couple movie theaters nearby and uh it's a friday nothing going on or thursday whatever it was uh and we're like yeah yeah, yeah so that's fine and we weren't going to see black panther like we were definitely down to see it uh and like i said on the last show but we're not really opening day people because of crowds and etc cetera, etc cetera. so i'm like okay well why don't we go see um paddington bear 2 did you ever see the first paddington bear you probably didn't did you i have not seen either of them oh fuck dude paddington bear is like the best movie i'm not even kidding paddington bear is so good I think I fucking cried at the end of that movie. It was really touching, really sweet. It's way but I mean, even if you don't have any memories of Paddington Bear from being a kid, which I do. I mean, I, I watched the uh, stop motion claymation, whatever series that was imported from England way back in the late 80s or something. And it was also on Nickelodeon back in the day. Uh, so I like Paddington, you know, uh, me and him go way back. But this movie, the new movie, or, I mean, the, the first movie that just came out a couple years ago was actually like, it was so good. It was really, really good. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let's go see Paddington Bear 2. I really want more of that because that was excellent. And, like, we had we had waited, like, one week too long. So, like, um, it had left all of our local theaters the day before we wanted to go see it. So I was like, oh, fuck. There's, like, no theater within, like, 50 miles showing it. So I'm like, well, what's left? And I'm like, well, Black Panther's fucking showing everywhere. <laughs> and we really want to see it. But it's opening day. I don't know about opening day. We never do opening day for anything. But I'm like, ah, fuck. I don't know. Maybe we should go see it. We got the time. We're all here. It's like on 37 screens near us. Oh, fuck it. Okay, whatever. Fuck it. Um, and I don't know if this is a thing with where you are, but like all, not all of our local theaters, but a lot of our local theaters have started letting us reserve seats. Is that a thing where you're at? That not all of the theaters, but many of the theaters are like that here. Oh, dude. Reserving seats at a movie theater is the most baller fucking awesome thing ever. <laughs> you don't have to get there an hour early. You don't have to run in the theater and push people aside. You can pick what seats you want. Because, I mean, straight up, dude, I always want to be, like, on the furthest edge of the aisle because I don't like people crowding me in. If if it ever comes up where I need to go to the bathroom, I don't have to, like, cross the laps of, like, 37 people to get out. If I want to get a snack or something, I can just go or whatever. I, like, I need that little, like, that sense of freedom. And if I can't be on the end, like, I don't want to go because I don't like to be stuck, right? So being able to reserve those seats ahead of time is great. So we're like, okay, let's check it out. So we start uh, going to the Black Panther screening. Surprise, like, a lot of them have a lot of seats left. I'm like, oh, well, this isn't too bad. They have seats on the end. I'm like, oh, even better. Got my seats ready. So I'm like, all right, let's fucking do it. So we went. Went to go see it. I will reserve judgment. I want to hear uh, what you thought because you had tickets. Did you go with a friend, right? A friend got you tickets or was it just you and Patrick? Uh, it was Patrick, me and Patrick, and one of his coworkers, Weston, who we see a lot of movies with, actually, now that I think about it. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So I'm dying to talk with you about this. Um, I did not plan to see it, but I did see it. I know you went to go see it. Let's talk about it right fucking now. Corey Motley, Black Panther, go for it. <laughs> um, okay, well, I saw it on Friday in the afternoon, and we saw it on IMAX, and... Um, I mean, I really liked it. I mean, I'm not, like, crazy about it. Um, you know, I mean, I think it was definitely, like, a great movie, and I'm really happy that 
um, like as of today, it's like the fifth like highest opening weekend like money making movies ever like in the history of cinema. So that's really exciting, and it's really um, like I really liked seeing a movie that was basically like kind of like what I was talking about like last week or two weeks ago, how it was sort of like made and produced and sold like for black audiences. Um, so, I mean, I liked it. I wasn't in love with it. Like, I'm not sure that I would ever watch it again. Um, but I did like it. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm very unenthusiastic about this because I mean, I think it was really good and I enjoyed seeing like, you know, the audiences that were there and like the people showing up for it and, you know, like basically uh, like black people having something to like celebrate or like minorities having something to celebrate that's made for them. But like when it comes to minorities in cinema, um, like I, I, I guess like I identify more with women than I do with black people. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, um, so like it's 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 more for some reason it's more meaningful on a personal level for me and it's more rewarding for me personally as a gay man for some reason to see like women on screen like uh, like so like Wonder Woman or like Atomic Blonde for example or like a couple of movies in the past year that I've like really stuck to because it's like a like a you know a woman front and center like kicking a bunch of ass. And that's not to say that I don't enjoy seeing black people on screen because now I just sound like I'm being racist. But like, <laughs> it's it's like it's harder for me to identify with black culture because I'm not a black person. I guess maybe that's the best way to say it. Like, like I appreciate the fact that like there is a movie for like black people that's made for black people that's like you know now is like the fifth highest opening weekend of all time, and I'm really excited about it. But I can't identify as easily with black culture as I do with. I mean, white, I don't think there's a such thing as white culture, but whatever that means. Um, but I still really liked it. I mean, I thought it, like, um, you know, the everybody's talking about, like, the production design and the costume design and the set designs, I mean, are obviously really incredible. And everything that, like, every, like, stitch that went into the, the, uh, the clothing design and everything was all... Um, you know, based on real African tribes and African culture. So it's all like really meaningful and really, um, uh, you know, like, uh, like actually has roots in actual like African culture and stuff like that. Um, but I thought it was good. I mean, I thought it was a good movie, but maybe it's because it's like a superhero movie is the fact that I'm like not super duper into it because I'm not generally into superhero movies. But I mean, I thought it was very good, but I, I'm not like, I didn't like cry during it or anything or like <laughs> have like a huge emotional impact, but I'm still very excited for everybody who love, who is totally in love with it and is able to celebrate it, especially because it's, you know, like so rare to see that many like people of color on screen at once that can be celebrated at once. Right. Right. Well, no, I think that's a very fair, that's a very fair take on it. I mean, I, I think it's very fair to say that you don't, you know, identify that much with black culture because you're not a black person, not growing up in the black culture. I think that's totally a fair thing to say. And, you know, same for me. I'm not a black person. I don't, you know, I don't claim that heritage or I don't come from that. So it's not like I'm trying to say that this was, you know, uh, it, it didn't hit me on that same level. So, I mean, and that makes sense because it wouldn't. But uh, I do think there was a lot of really cool things about it. I mean, I think, you know, this kind of... Um, proves the lie that black people or women can't open movies. I mean, that's been kind of like a Hollywood, you know, quote unquote, truism for a long time. And with the success of both Wonder Woman and Black Panther, uh, you know, setting so many records and being so successful, 
I think that definitely opens the door to having more diversity in films, which I think is great. I think ha having more diversity is always a good thing. Um, so I'm really happy about that. In terms of it being a Marvel movie, I thought it was a really good movie. And granted, I'm definitely more of the Marvel movie guy than you are. So that's fair. I know you're not like super big on the superhero films. No problem there. But I've seen them all. I'm, in, I'm into them all. I really love them all. This one I thought was excellent. I mean, it just in general, it was just a really fun ride. I mean, of course, like the action was really cool and the locales were very exotic and there was a lot of a good mix between action and laughs. But there was also a lot of good like intellectual content, too. I mean, the way that the characters kind of interacted with each other, uh, the different issues that were brought up. I mean, the whole thing about I mean, not to get into spoilers or anything, but I think that a lot of the stuff they talked about in Black Panther was incredibly topical and incredibly relevant to what we're going through in America right now. Not just from a race perspective, but from like a political perspective, um, talking about how Black Panther, who is, you know, the ruler of his fictional country of Wakanda, like how they thought their, you know, foreign policy should be, how they treated other countries, how they thought of themselves in relation to other countries, and like the attitude of the people running the country. I mean, a lot of that stuff a lot of really obvious parallels to what's going on in America right now with Trump and the current Republican regime. So um, I thought that it was very forward thinking and very current and a lot of it really connected to me on that level. So I was really appreciative that the, the movie makers were so, so out there about that. I mean, I love seeing that stuff. I think, um, I mean, going to a movie and just being straight up entertained is totally fine. And I love that. I have no problem with a good popcorn movie, but being able to work in a little bit of a message and having a little bit of that connection to the real world, I think is even better. So I really do, um, enjoy that a lot. I also really liked, um, I mean, this was a great movie because the women were just as front and center as the men were. I mean, obviously it's called Black Panther and of course he's the main star, but I mean, the, the supporting cast of women was like phenomenal. Like they had, they were so strong. They had huge parts. They were all like equal characters they were, you know, just as responsible for the success of um, the film as, as Black Panther himself was. And, I mean, I think it just sets a really good precedent. You know, I've seen already a ton of people really connecting with um, both uh, the leader of the guards, which I believe her name was Okoye, who was played by um, the lady that's from, I don't know her real name, but the lady that's from Walking Dead. And then also um, Black Panther's little sister, I think her name was Shuri in the film, who's like, she's like the Tony Stark of Wakanda, uh, but black and female. And I mean, like, I'm already seeing people like totally like cosplaying and like celebrating them as characters and using them as role models. Which I think is great. I think they were awesome characters. Uh, and I really appreciated that they were not second fiddle to Black Panther himself. And, uh, you know, Black Panther was so cool. But I mean, seeing that balance and seeing that treatment of women as equals was really awesome. Also really a big fan of uh, the villain in that movie who I forget what his his name was, but they called him Killmonger, which I'm sorry, is a really stupid name. That's a really <laughs> stupid name. I hate that name. Um, I'm sure it's probably taken from the comics. Uh, I don't know that, for, but I'm guessing. But his character was awesome. I mean, I think that his origin made a lot of sense. He was very believable as a bad guy. He wasn't just like some cackling maniac. Like, he actually had a background that you could relate to. And, I mean, it's still a bad guy, for sure. And it's not like I wanted him to win or anything, but, like, you could, you knew where he was coming from. Like, you could see his perspective. And, like although I didn't really want him to win, like I could understand why he wanted the things that he wanted. And, you know, like others have said, I think that really makes for a very compelling villain. Like, you know, it's not hard and it's not really creative or exciting to have some weirdo show up and be like, ah, I want to blow up the world. Ha ha ha. And then he's like wringing his hands and twirling his mustache. But to have a person who's like, you know, Hey, I came from this background and I got fucked over this way. And this is what I think should be. And I'm going to try to do something about it. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like he's, He's like the good guy of his own story. And unfortunately, his story 
makes him the bad guy in our story so that they, they can't work together doesn't go along but i think that they really um did a great job with him and i i think that that approach is really the correct one it's, it makes for a much more interesting film and it really reminded me a lot of um the vulture in the most recent spider-man movie you saw that uh, that film didn't you yes i did i loved the vulture i thought michael keaton did a great job because he looked cool and had cool wings and he could fly and all this stuff i mean he looked like a badass villain but at the same time he was like a working man and you like you could totally understand him getting fucked over by tony stark and you know trying to provide for his family and like that eventually turned him into a villain like that was like you know that was more complex than we usually get for a superhero villain or a, a comic book villain and i really love the vulture for that like you could understand him as like a working man who kind of took a wrong turn and i kind of see that as a parallel for, for uh killmonger in in uh, black panther not a working man but same kind of like a kid on the wrong path took a little bit of a wrong turn but you could you could get him like you could feel where he was coming from so i thought that was wonderful i really enjoyed that very much um i got i mean i just love the whole thing i didn't really have any criticisms of any of it except for in a few scenes i felt like black panther himself looked a little bit too cg where it you know like i mean it wasn't terrible but like i kind of wish they had maybe done a little bit more practical effects maybe actually have um Chadwick Boseman in the actual suit doing some stunts or maybe having a stuntman doing some stuff. It wasn't bad. Like, it wasn't terrible. But there was a few scenes where I was like, oh, that was a little a little bit too obviously CG. And it kind of, like, caught my eye a little bit more than I like. But other than that, I really loved it a lot. I'm really happy to see that the film is, like, so wildly successful. I mean, I think, or not domestically. Domestically, it was, like, more than $200 million, And I think worldwide on opening weekend... It was pretty close to 400 million, which is like way above what they projected for it. So I think that's uh, definitely uh, putting us on track for a Black Panther 2 and seeing hopefully more diverse Marvel superheroes. I mean, I know they have a couple uh, in the pipe in the, the new wave once they currently wrap up the, the, the current cycle of films. Uh, really excited, really excited about what this could mean for, I mean, and not just Marvel, but I mean, other films in the future. I mean, I think this is really opening a lot of doors. Yeah, I think so too. And I will be interested to see um, how, like, you know, because it's, it's becoming, I mean, I guess like general audiences have probably known this for a long time, but like, you know, Hollywood is finally starting to figure out that like, like you said earlier, like, oh, maybe movies that are headlined with black people are headlined with women. Wow, what a shock. People actually want to see these. How strange. Like, and so it'll be interesting to see, like, going forward how, especially, like, in the superhero genre, they grapple with this. Because, I mean, like, most superhero movies, it's like, oh, a white guy is the lead, and he's, like, a straight white dude. And, you know, we have, like, you know, all of the Avengers, and then we have, like, Black Widow on the side, and um, the Scarlet Witch, is that her name? Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And so you've got you've got them, and it's kind of like the two ladies holding it down. And I mean, I guess like technically you have like the wasp now, like with Ant-Man. Um, but you know, it's like, it'll be interesting to see going forward, having them like work more women and more people of color and more just like overall minorities into, um, like into superhero movies. And I mean, I feel, I'm pretty sure that, uh, Stan Lee confirmed that they are going to do a standalone black widow movie, like finally at some point. And I think, uh, Tessa Thompson who played Valkyrie and Thor Ragnarok had, uh, gone on the record and said that she was like keeping her fingers crossed that they would do like an all women Avengers type movie. And I mean, at this point, I feel like Marvel has, you know, enough, uh, female superheroes in their movies to do like an all female, uh, Avengers type thing, which I think would just be like 
the best. I mean, I would love that. And I bet you that people would pay a lot, you know, a lot of people would go and see that kind of thing too. But I, I just hope that like with the new phase that they're going into after Infinity War, that it will be a lot more minority focused and that it won't just be like one superhero movie headlined with a white guy, like after another, after another, after another. Yeah, well, you know, nothing's been really confirmed, but I've heard that's the plan. I mean, when they get in the second phase, what I've heard most often is that they're going to try to work in um, Kamala Khan, who is like the new Miss Marvel. And she is of, um, I don't read her comic books, so I don't want to get this wrong, but I think she is from, uh, she's a Muslim of some sort or from Middle Eastern descent. I don't know her exact background. So apologies if I'm getting that mixed up. But she's definitely like Middle Eastern or Muslim. Um, they're also having uh, Captain Marvel, who is a white woman, but still a woman. And she's actually a really super powerful uh, hero. So she's like on like the galaxy class of heroes. So she can throw down with like anybody. Uh, that's coming up in the pipe. I think they announced the actress for that. And I, I wasn't super familiar with her work, but that's already in that's, the works. Uh, it's Brie Larson. She won an Oscar like two years yeah. ago. Yeah, she's confirmed for Captain Marvel. That's definitely happening. I've heard that they're going to try to transition uh, the new uh, Spider-Man. Like, Peter Parker will still be around, apparently, but the new Spider-Man, uh, whose name is Miles Morales, and he is kind of like half black, half Latino in the comics. Again, I haven't read his comics, and this is not because I don't like him, but I just don't read a lot of Marvel comics lately because they're so fucking expensive. Like, I can't <laughs> keep up. I can't keep up with them, and I think my my main period for reading Marvel was, like, late 70s, early 80s, so I haven't really, like, been a frequent reader. So it's not like I don't like those books or anything. I just... I just I'm not buying a lot of comic books these days, uh, but I kind of keep up with it partially through Marvel Puzzle Quest, uh, <laughs> but also also just for people, you know, sharing stories with me and seeing stuff like this. So um, there's a couple other things in the works, but I mean, so far, it seems like a pretty diverse lineup and it seems like that they're really getting the message. Um, you know, money talks, money talks and diversity is making a lot of fucking money right now. And I think it's interesting because these movies wouldn't be getting made if they weren't making money. And although at first they seemed like a risk, they seem like a really safe bet now. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to see that that's holding true because we're seeing more diversity on TV. We're definitely seeing more diversity in movies. And I think that's really reflective of our culture in general because we are responding with our dollars. And I'm happy to see that because I think that is a truer reflection of the United States than what um, politicians in Washington, D.C. would have us believe right now. So, you know, they can say what they want, and the country, I think, has its own set of problems apart from that. But I think when you look at, like, what the common people, the non-politicians, the people on the street, the people going to the movie theaters, what they're paying their money for, I think that's a real reflection of what's going on. And I'm really happy to see that it's going in, in the right direction for me. Affirmative, sir. I agree. Right on, right on. Well, I watched another movie recently, not Black Panther, um, but it was another one of our B-movie escapades on Netflix. I know I mentioned earlier... And a couple times that me and my son sometimes we like to watch like really like trashy sci-fi on um, on Netflix. <clears throat> and uh, we had a morning where we were just kind of kicking it. And I'm like, oh, this kind of feels like a movie morning. Why don't we see what we got on our on our list? And we picked a movie called Robot Overlords on Netflix. <laughs> super super generic title. Could not be more generic. It is about literally robot overlords. Um, <laughs> But it was funny because we picked it because it had a cool robot on the cover. But as I looked at the picture, uh, it was Jillian Anderson from the X-Files was in it. And also Ben Kingsley was like in it as well. So there was like some actual actors. Uh, turns out that movie was really, really good. It was wonderful. Uh, very family oriented film. It's about a bunch of robots come to Earth and they just like take over and they put the entire planet on lockdown. And people don't really know what they want, but they put everybody on this quarantine where you have to stay inside your house. And if you leave your house, you've got like five seconds to get back inside or else they blast you. 
And there's like all these robot guards like all over the place. So this movie takes place in England and uh, it just so happens that these kids are fucking around in an attic. They're really fucking bored. They find a PS3 that they want to try to get working again because they're just, you know, you're locked inside 24-7. So they take this PS3 apart and what happens is they somehow short circuit it and it like sends this current into their bodies and somehow that like deactivates the robots from from finding them if they leave their house. So all of a sudden they have the freedom to leave whenever they want to. And that kind of turns them into like this little rebel group. And then they meet these other rebels and it kind of goes on from there. And they eventually like try to push the robots out of England and reclaim humanity. Uh, really cool. Really cool. Kind of a, like a young adult slanted film. Um, it was not too violent. Uh, there was no sex or anything. So it was really appropriate for families. The action was really cool. I thought the robots uh, were all really well done. Really interesting designs. And it just told a really cool story of these kids, fight, you know, getting a group, fighting back, pushing the robots back. And eventually, you know, of course they win. It's not a spoiler. Of course they win. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. I really liked it a lot. And it was just um, one of those nice surprises where it was a B-movie to be sure, but like it was a really well done one. I mean, the script was good. The performances were solid. Special effects were great. And it was just like a really fun ride. So I really uh, enjoyed that one a lot. Definitely recommend Robot Overlords uh, if you are on Netflix and you're in the movie in the mood for a... Uh, a sci-fi B movie that won't let you down. Yeah, it was good stuff. I am uh, hung up on the fact that Jillian Anderson is in this. <laughs> she totally is. She plays the mom of the kids, and she was in it. Yeah, absolutely. It was Ben Kingsley is like the bad guy, and he's like totally lusting after her, and he wants her to join him. And she's like, No, 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 I'm the mom, and I can't do that. And he's like, Yes, 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 you will. <laughs> I mean, it was it was about on that level of stuff, but it was good. Like it was cute. Like it was very. You go into it with the proper mindset of what you're going to get and you will not be disappointed. I thought it was very well done. Very good. I mean, for like a, for like a rando generic movie on a Sunday afternoon on Netflix, it was a win for sure. <laughs> okay. I'm glad though. I mean, I'm always glad to hear you talk about the ridiculous <laughs> B movies <laughs> that you watch with your son. So I'm glad that they're turning out a lot better than maybe you would expect them to be on a regular basis. Oh man, for sure. I love building memories like this with my kid. I really want him to grow up and look back and think about all the fucked up trashy movies that we watched and have that be a good thing. <laughs> Speaking of which, dude, I'm sorry to dominate this, but I have to say this really, really quickly. <laughs> July, July this year, Sharknado six, my friend. That's right. The next uh... installment in the Sharknado series my favorite film to bond with my son over. We are both psyched. It's going to be a time travel story, back and forth in time, killing sharks, uh, probably killing Sharknados, guest stars, chainsaws. We're super, super excited. July this year, Sharknado 6. That's How it. are there six of those movies already? Dude, those sharks just do not quit. They just keep coming and keep coming. <laughs> also, Hollywood is full of like old D and C listers who need work, and this is keeping them employed. So uh, it's a really fun series. I am super, super excited. Uh, at the very end of Sharknado 5, they started introducing the idea of like going back in time to stop Sharknados once and for all. And I was like, I'm like, yes. Yes, we are going to travel through time. Yes, we are going to kill more sharks. We're doing dinosaur sharks. Yes, we're going to do that too. We're going to. Oh, super, my God. super excited. Anyway, sorry. I've been talking a million years. What else? You got anything else on your, uh, your banter list, man? Um, I actually don't. I uh, don't really think I have much else. I saw Black Panther over the weekend and then. Um, surprise, everybody's going to be shocked when they hear this. I went to the skate park and did some photography on Saturday, and I went out with some <laughs> parkour friends and did more photography on Sunday, and um, have been trying to scrape by with uh, getting in video game time. Um, 
to play games to talk about on the show, which I've been pretty successful at this week, I think. Excellent, excellent. Yes, I'm very, ex- I'm very excited to talk to you about the games we have on Slate this week. So I got nothing else. If you got anything else, uh, should we just get to it? Yeah, let's talk about some games. Let's talk about some games. Let's talk about some games. 